it turns out that if you just played it the same way as you played the previous edition of the Codex, with just Star Weavers full of fusion pistols advancing and shooting without penalty, that it was still pretty good. Welcome to episode 46 of Stat Check, one for the road, the ninth edition stats deep dive, which is why you have the three number crunchers that exist to back up everything on the show. Um, the stat, the stat part of the stat check, not the game side of the stat check. Um, so you've got me, you've got Jeremy, and you got Custody Cliff, or just Cliff. Just, just um, Cliff is bad. As I'm discovering that Custody's players are not the group that I should be wanting to be attached to. <laughs> and we're going to follow the pretty standard show format to a point, and then we're going to start going deep diving into a retrospective on Ninth edition and talk about all the amazing and terrible things that happened during Ninth edition and all the metas that we've forgotten about at this point. But first, Cliff, how was your week? It's good. Um... Working through these Chaos Knight War Dogs. Again, using it as an opportunity to work through these like rusty, corroded, cool, textured metal effects. So that's fun. Um, very excited about the reveals. GSC was today. I think, I don't know what the GSC player take is, but I thought it was a pretty cool, like streamlined way to, to nail the like crazy revolutionaries coming out of the woodwork everywhere dynamic. Um, yeah, that's it. Went to the pool over the weekend. Hey, nice. Jeremy, how about your week? And weekend? Uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. I actually don't remember what I did this weekend. Um, I think it was just fester and stew and pray to the chaos gods that someone would, that an entire book and indexes would fall off of a truck so i could start building 10th edition lists because while i have one more ninth edition event to do <laughs> i don't care anymore i've got a team meeting this evening to discuss what our lists are going to be for a team event next weekend uh the 10th and it's just like play with you <laughs> at this point I like we want to win the event because we're bringing half of team canada and myself but at the same time it's just like it's ninth does it matter anymore um yeah yeah. Uh, Nikki D, uh, to answer your question, since it's already popped up, uh, this is this was my team shirt from the Can Hammer team tournament last year. We went as the Vengeful Spirits. Oh, it's uh, great team. I, I co-captained the team with uh, Nick Blackburn, also known as Trashcan, in the Stat Check Discord. Um, <laughs> anyone who was at All Is Dust knows where that nickname comes from. Uh, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Team events are always a ton of fun. <laughs> Disflux, is it a dead meta if people are technically still playing it? Good question, Nathan. Boy, are people still like? playing it? Holy crap. <laughs> people definitely are playing it. And we're going to talk about a second how weird and wild the doldrums of ninth edition, like that spin down of the edition is getting in just a second. As for my weekend, I worked way too much last week, and so I canceled taking a Slanesh Demon Rush army to an RTT on Saturday oh, and decided... Boy. Decided to sleep instead. It was so much fun. The list was a blast. It was like Shalaxy 
and a keeper of secrets and then just characters to deliver them places. And it was really fun to play. I successfully delivered Shalaxi multiple times into people and just watched her eat people. And it was amazing. Um, being able to warp locusts in a keeper of secrets is quite hilarious, especially if you then charge trucks and eat flash kits that are inside of them. <laughs> that does sound very fun. Other than that, I've learned why iron hands are so good as I keep playing them for this competitive league over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing you're traumatizing know. people is the yeah, exact you get, words. You get called out as like the out of towner that's coming in, just trash canning people with it. <laughs> so I like, I took it to the first, the first 2000 point game and the land speeders one of the land speeder storms killed like a palatine or something in melee combat and it was just kind of like the icing cool. on the cake for that entire thing because then also in that match a scout with a, a scout sergeant with a thunder hammer iced celestine in melee combat <laughs> um and then yesterday I played against an, a local Eldar player who's actually quite good, but just wasn't prepared for the amount of desolation nonsense that was going to happen. How many desolation uh, marines in your thousand point list? It's 2000 points now. And okay. There are, only, there are only 10. Oh, only. <laughs> but at the end of the game, he had one Farseer on a point. And that was it. And I was like... Silly. And Idris, it's just Innis's uh, repulsor Iron Hands list um, with 10 scouts and two land speeder storms, 10 vanguard veterans, the usual nonsense. It's nothing to. I didn't reinvent the wheel with this list. I just took Innis's list and ran with it. I love that, like a month ago, if you'd been like, yeah, I'm going to throw a repulsor in here, people would be like, you're trolling. Stop. Now it's like, oh, no, wait. Actually, it's a great call. Yeah. It it definitely it's won the largest tournament in the last three months. <laughs> yeah. It definitely is trolling a little bit in this league because nobody brought any indirect for me to put anything inside of it. So it has a transport capacity in the theory, but mostly it just shoots so many guns at things that I forget which guns it ends up having. I'm like, oh right, it also has an indirect missile it can shoot at you once per game. I guess I'll shoot that right now. And that that was kind of the day. Also, five up feel no pains on Vanguard veterans will never stop being hilarious. Yes. Just never. Um Vanguard veterans, eight striking scorpions on the charge, two squads of banshees on the charge. It was nonsensical. Five up feel no pain is way too good. But wait, yeah, wait, there's more. It was basically what it sounded like as I was listing guns off as I was shooting them into people. Yes. <laughs> It was very exciting. Um, with with my Horus Heresy regalia, the Dark Angels army playing as Iron Because <laughs> I'm actually just the worst kind of person. <laughs> the models just look so good, though. They do. And they are. They're black. Um, painted black, definitely. They're definitely Iron Hands, I swear. Just, just ignore the red trim. They just got a lot of wings on their helmets and lots of Dreadwings symbols on their shoulder pads. So yeah, that was my weekend. Uh, no tournaments to speak of. This isn't... There's no Innis or Anthony to talk to us about GT performances, so I guess we'll just go into... Yeah, make it stop was a common phrase for yeah. all of the games. Yeah. Oh, that one guy. Thank you. That's cool. Yes. You didn't have to do that, but you did. Thank you very much for that support. Uh, for anyone who is watching the podcast, that one guy, one of our patrons, 
uh, dropped us a super chat for $20, dollars for what you do and to support the Ascension. Going to miss my anti-alpha blips, but excited to see what 10th holds. And we will talk about that preview today. We're going to talk about the Infinite Army preview. I love it. Love it. Why don't we why don't we talk weekly stats and then we can talk tenth edition previews? Let's because the it, weekly stats drove me almost as mad as uh, today's preview did. All right, so we didn't have we had like twelve events this weekend. So we'll just go through these pretty quickly, but they're also hilarious. Um, nobody would ever guess what the top performing faction of this week is, but it is in fact Space Wolves. <laughs> um, there were. There were 42 Space Wolves players this weekend, which is more than there were Iron Hands players, almost as many Orc players, and nearing the number of World Leaders players for the weekend. It's quite something. Uh, they made up 4.6% of the weekend. They had a 56.7% win rate. They won four events, top four at six and top seven at, or top 10 at seven events for an overrep of 2.98. You know, because casually for one week, Space Wolves wanted to put up some Harlequin numbers, at least an overrep, to remind us that they're when you can spam Melta on like infinite number of bodies almost. Yeah, yeah. that it's pretty good. Uh, the second is Iron Hands, which is kind of expected. 35 players over the weekend, 3.8% meta rep, 56.7% win rate again. So the same as Space Wolves. One event win, three top fours, six top tens for an actually pretty middling 1.79 over rep ratio. You know, not even a two. Come on, Iron Hands players. Not even a two for over rep this weekend. Step it up. Step it up. And my favorite, though, is actually past Space Wolves is adept is Sisters of Battle getting in a good performance as the third performance, third best performing faction of the weekend. 14 players, 1.5% meta rep, 56% win rate. One event win, three top fours, three top tens for a 4.48 over rep, which is hyper inflated because of their low meta representation, but it's also hilarious because... I just want to go back to that Space Wolves number again. <laughs> An over rep of almost three when they made up, what, close to a 20th of the meta? Yeah, it's wild. Like, it's a that's wild not a skewed number. number. That is just a... It's just high. They won four <laughs> of the 11 events this weekend. Space Wolves are good. Space Marines in general are good, folks. There are a couple of Space Marine factions that are just better than the others, but they are very good. Uh, Gene Stealer Colts are still in the top five. 18 players, 2%. There are actually more Gene Stealer Colt players than Sisters players, which I find wild. <laughs> the Day of Ascension has come. 55.7% uh, win rate, one event win, one top four, two top tens, and a measly 1.16 over rep ratio. How the mighty have fallen from their weekly three to four because of low numbers. <laughs> um, as you can tell, I'm taking this week's stats very seriously, folks. At home. <laughs> World leaders are coming in at fifth. Our perennial uh, bridesmaid, never the bride at 55 players. 6% meta representation, 54.7% win rate. No event wins, no top fours, and a single top ten for an overrep of zero. <laughs> I thought World Leaders won event. I have them at zero. No, oh, World no, they have a one. I, I read Salamanders. And, I'm sorry, everybody. And, and the reason that I know that is that World Leaders also won the largest event of the weekend, which was a 184-player oh, GT in Spain. 
Uh, and it was, um, I, I go by his old ITC handle because he's changed it so many times now. I'm assuming it's a he, so my apologies <laughs> if I'm wrong. Uh, Raven, because uh, if you look at the ITC rankings right now, Raven is Raven and then three random characters next to their name. No actual <laughs> last name. Uh, so in my data set, they're Gonzalo Raven because that's the one time that they use two names on in the IT, in, in a BCP uh... event. So actually, I just misread the entire spreadsheet because apparently I can't read left to right. Uh, it's one event <laughs> win, four top fours, seven top tens for a 1.52 over rep. I tried to give the world leaders the salamanders numbers, which isn't very a nice thing to do. <laughs> but they'll be OK. They'll survive. But that does mean that salamanders were the sixth best army this weekend. Yes. Um, and then black Templars are right below them. So they're actually four loyalist space marines in the top 10 <laughs> right off the bat two of them which are typically not even considered necessarily top tier space marine factions in black templars and salamanders um chaos demons actually fell quite a bit although we're still in the above 50 percent win rates at this point we actually have to go down to we have leagues of votan to hit a non 50 percent faction <laughs> for win rate which are in 19th place out of the factions. So let's talk about the bottom. Or 18th. Ooh, the bottom. Well, Raven Guard are the bottom because uh, they have all zeros. Because uh, no one wants to play them. <laughs> and Crimson just <laughs> had one player who played six games and won one of them. Yeah. Uh, Thousand Sons are the worst performing faction with more than 10 players over the weekend at 19 players, 2.1% meta representation, and a 32% win rate. Oh, poor Dusty Boys. Uh, Imperial Fists, also not really worth mentioning. Four players, 38% win rate. Chaos Space Marines are the second worst performing faction with an actual countable, like an actual significant number of players. 25 players, 2.7% meta representation, 39.6% win rate. They did get a top four, though, and they did get two top tens, and they're sitting at a 0.84 meta representation. And then we have another funny number, because this is going to amuse me for no end, is Ultramarines with 16 players, 1.7% of the meta, a 40.9% win rate, three top fours and four top tens, and a 3.92 over rep again, because why not? <laughs> Just... Take your minimal representation and somehow one like a few a handful of players performing well manages to get gaming. you to ratio. How about those players are gaming? Yep. And that's kind of it for the bottom. I mean, Grey Knights are next above Ultramarines. Adeptus Mechanicus are in there with only seven players and a 40% win rate over the weekend. Uh, Tyranids are at the bottom along with Death Guard. Death Watch are also there. Necrons kind of are in the middle. <laughs> And as we'll probably be talking about later, Harlequins are, have definitely fallen from grace with their only slightly significant number of players at 11, a 47% win rate, and no positioning whatsoever for this weekend. Um, so that's really stats for the weekend. I mean, Meltarats did great. Best performance of the weekend. World leaders are managing to actually eat worlds. That's great. Welcome to the end of ninth, where everything is a little bit weird and nothing matters anymore. <laughs> I mean, at least it's better than the end of eighth. 
where it was just iron hands yes but now it's just we were in the middle of a pandemic well i wasn't (laughs) gonna talk about that part but yes we were also in the middle of a pandemic it's true as opposed to now where we have 920 players on a weekend which is kind of wild all right shall we talk about the week no go ahead do you think that the uptick in players over this like last couple of weekends and we'll, I don't know we'll see what the next couple look like do you think it's players who are like all right all the traditionally really good players are calling it as they prepare for their various like WTC adventures maybe now's my time like maybe I go out run into maybe one or two like traditionally top placers and like maybe I luck out and grab a GT win maybe uh there aren't as many people avoiding GTs right now as you may think um, if you think about it, if every national team is taking a break and taking it easy while they wait for 10th to fully drop so they can start practicing 10th and start figuring out how to win the WTC, um, it's like 200, maybe 300 players worldwide out of a player pool in the tens of thousands. Yeah, yeah. Now, it does definitely trim off a lot of the top. But even like this past weekend, um, Motor City Madness was won by Brad Chester, who beat uh, James Kelling in the finals. So it's like there are two top American players right there playing. True. Uh, You had Bay Area Open uh, out in California, I think. I don't know. My American Jerry. That that sounds correct. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds accurate. It's better than than I can do for Canada, at least. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) I'm your hat. I got to be at least somewhat good at it. Um, but yeah, and then we had like, so those two events were both almost 150 players each. We had the, uh, the GT Andorra and open Ordino in Spain, which had 176 players. Uh, we had the Bayern major in Germany, which was a seven round event that had 111 players. And we also had Rocky top Midwest conquests, uh, that were majors, um, this weekend. So it's just like, while the event change may be dis- de- deterring some people from playing, a lot of these events were planned months out before right. we had a firm timeline of all of this. And most players prepare for months for events. Yeah, they're going to be big anyway. Yeah. yeah. So it'll it'll be it'll depend. Um, I think what will really be interesting will be comparing 2022's Atlantic City Open to 2023's mm. Atlantic City Open mm. because. Um, Atlantic City Open is June 16th to the 18th, if I remember correctly. Um, it is one of the premier events for frontline gaming. Um, and if they see a severe drop off in player base, it's because it's one of the last events of night, like very last. Yep. It'll be interesting because we've seen kind of just steady growth that like has kind of started to plateau as ninth ends when we've looked at the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. But that the growth in event attendance has been pretty steadily linear throughout ninth yeah so it's it's actually kind of interesting so we had two weeks the lat the, the weekend of the four that ended the 14th and the weekend of the um 15th or 21st that where we had a bit of a dip because we had been seeing like six to seven hundred players every single weekend from basically the beginning of the season uh easter weekend being the only one where we had less than 100 players but again mm-hmm. easter weekend people tend to spend time with their family travel what have you events don't really want to run stuff. Right. Um, and then this weekend we had 920 players, but the two weekends before that, there were like 300 to 400 players. So it is one of those things where it's like, hmm, maybe there's a dip. Maybe it's just that there were fewer events planned for that weekend six months ago. Sure. 
<clears throat> be kind of interesting to look at it like long term too. Once Definitely. we go from ninth to tenth, mm-hmm. it'll be really interesting to see how those numbers kind of break out as we keep going, because. The pandemic definitely led to like an explosion in participation in certain aspects of the hobby, sure. which I think has resulted in kind of a a big growth in event attendance after pandemic stuff loosened enough for events to be run in person. Yeah, like right. this past weekend, we had four hundred ninety nine, not five hundred, four hundred ninety nine players who had not who played in an event this weekend who had not yet played in a GT Plus event this year to date. Awesome. Um, so we're still seeing like huge amounts of growth, new people coming out. Um, like la- as again, as compared to last year, we're looking at about thirty nine percent more unique players to date at this point in the year, as opposed to last year, which is just wild. Crazy. And we don't even talk about RTT data, right? Like there are lots no. of RTTs now. Yeah. Yeah, and like it feels like, like there are RTTs locally, like several within driving distance of me, basically every weekend at this every point. Weekend, yeah. You can go find it if you want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like to date, we have had 7,300 people, give or take a couple duplicates, because I can't find every single person that changes their name in BCP. Stop doing that. Um, <laughs> uh, whereas this time last year, we had 5,300. So like 2,000 more people have gone out to GT Plus events in the last five months as compared to last year. Which is amazing. So, That's a huge yeah. number. And if we keep seeing this, it's like the it, it's just gonna keep growing. And with tenth, like if this is a dip right now. Yeah, this then... is a plateau. <laughs> this is a plateau or a slight dip. It's gonna be very interesting to see what that first couple like every store I know of is running some kind of tenth event, basically yep. like right after the supposed release date of tenth. Yeah, uh, the store that I play at, uh, the Red Dragon, uh, which is run by someone who just actually chucked a bit of money in the chat, uh, Dan Morris. It's uh, we're holding an Iron Man the week, either the Saturday or Sunday after release, depending on when the release happens. Uh, and then following that, we're going to be doing three back to back RTTs. Mm-hmm. Then there's the major that I'm running and then an RTT immediately after that. And they're all they're they're all like already over half capacity. The Iron Man sold out within a half day of the tickets going live, Woo. which is for it. anyone who's unaware what an Iron Man is. It is playing a GT in one day. So we have 28 players signed up for a five round 10th event one week after the event, the the the, the, the Leviathan box comes out. Um, which is fun trying to coordinate when that is because we don't actually know when the live in box comes out yet. We've just kind of no. had this placeholder of somewhere around here. Yeah. And Dick Johnson, those first three months of GTs before, like, for any fall codex drop are going to be wild. Like, Index <laughs> Hammer is going to be a wild time at first. There's probably going to be a point in the first couple of weeks where I'm just going to be like, none of the data makes sense and nobody cares. Like, just don't even pay attention to it on a week to week basis, like right away off off the beat, because it's just going to be a bunch of people trying like everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm going to be attending as many of those like Saturday events as I can. And my goal, like I've already planned out like this weekend, we try Dark Angels this weekend, we try Custodes this weekend, we try Imperial Knights this weekend, we try Admech. I'm just going to be throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. Oh, no, I have to start my training montage to go for Jeremy's event. So <laughs> that's what I have to do, like, immediately after 10th drops is I have to, like, 
you'll just see video clips of me painting and me pushing models and then Innis throwing books at me. <laughs> That's the intent training montage or Anthony spraying me with a spray bottle, basically. <laughs> Every time I give him like a bad Every time you idea. suggest a unit in your list. Uh, it'll be no, fine. Put the horror specs away. <laughs> Look, man. <laughs> Everybody wants the Toxicrine to be good. Sure, you can't move him on boards because his tentacles are too big and they hit every wall between him and where he's going. But you know, what you do is do do what the player that I had to slap did, which was take a heat gun to it and bend all of the tentacles back. <laughs> the commitment. If you just, it's only modeling for advantage if somebody catches you. Yeah, it's like that doesn't look quite right. Yeah. I mean, might as well just remove wings from Herodons while you're at it. But that's a story for a different day. Right. Nathan, I'll take those, uh, just slide your list ideas in between me screaming about creating three monoliths for real. <laughs> I feel like what they're going to do is they're just going to have me and Cliff play each other, like as the montage. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be like Jeremy, Innes, and Anthony sitting around like a pit, and it's just going to be me and Cliff like having a knife fight with <laughs> Fight for our entertainment. <laughs> you just got to make that oh. me over and over and over again forever <laughs> oh and tim tim will also be there with money like waving it around oh, yeah. yeah uh so do we want to talk 10th reveals and then do our retrospective yeah let's just, let's just quickly blitz through the 10th reveals i've got them up in order um so uh starting from last wednesday because on tuesday we talked about tuesday's reveal uh we got the orcs with the green tide their faction rule being wah, which is basically exactly what they have right now. Um, <laughs> that was the politest wah I've ever heard in my look, entire life. <laughs> I've, I've been to enough and run enough events where people have screamed the wah and I've just given them dirty lips. Uh, in fact, that an invitational back, I think it was like a, two months after the Codex came out, uh, I was playing in the stream room uh, and the room was about maybe... 10 feet square and my opponent rolled to go first and wad and pretty much blew my eardrums out so i was just like please let's let's not for everyone Whoa. else's sake um uh, but yeah so the wall that they get uh one of the big changes to note is orc units from your army that are eligible to declare a charge in which they uh in in a turn in which they advanced uh so this used to be core and character um core has gone away from what we've seen in all of the previews uh and characters get tagged onto units and then those units get the character keyword so it kind of was one of those just make everything advance and charge uh but it does mean that you get really silly things like gorkonauts and morkonauts advance and charging look man if Gork something you Mork... couldn't do before uh now you can advance and charge with a, a battle wagon whereas you could usually do it with a kill rig for for transport wise so i think that's really a really fun change Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other big change is that you only get a single battle round of it because you also call it at the top of the battle round uh, as opposed to um, calling it in your command phase. Yep. Um, the other thing is uh, you don't have to worry about your war boss being alive because it used to be that your warlord had to be a war boss and he had to be alive in order to call the wall. Now it's just yep. top of the battle round. If you want, if it's, if it's war time, like say you're going into a heavy shooting army and you got the bottom of a turn, you just call the wall right there and get your five up in one going. Um, yeah. But it does mean that you need to connect that turn as well. Which may not be that tough given bikes, trucks, battle wagons, kill Yeah, everything advanced and charging is pretty That's fast. A lot. If Drukari were evidence, a whole turn of advance and charge is real good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
Uh, and one of the things that we also noticed, uh, they got discount goths as their detachment roll, which is just sustained hits one on all of their melee weapons, which <laughs> is so pretty so good. Crazy. Terrible. Uh, Awful. Yeah. Uh, and then one. the two most amusing things, the data sheets that they previewed for us were Beast Naga Boys, uh, where Beast Naga Boys gained an inch of movement, gained a pip of armor, and also a six-up feel no pain, which... If they're still priced the same way that they are right now, which we have no idea, um, that's that's quite the data sheet. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Shout reduced AP, yeah, <laughs> with reduced AP and a better armor save, and now access to the five up armor uh, like invuln right off the bat, that's uh, that's that's pretty solid. Uh, yeah. And then of course uh, we now have the biggest infantry uh, character in the game, Gazgol <laughs> Magorakthraka, who Nobody... is a Look, man, nobody can convince me that Gaskell is not a vehicle. <laughs> like, he is the same size as a dreadnought. Yeah. <laughs> and can just Kool Aid Man. He's bigger than your average that. dreadnought. He's on an 80 mil base. Yeah. Like, everybody who ever tells me that a Carnifex can't breach a wall from now on, I'm just going to point <laughs> at Gaskell and be like, look, this guy who is basically a carnifix in size can breach that wall my carnifix should be able to just go through the wall yeah the the part that i'm waiting for now is when the orc index drops and we find out uh how many spaces he takes up in a in a battle wagon or a truck <laughs> he's still gonna take up some ridiculous number like 20 or something probably but we can dream that you can shove six meganobs makari and gaz in a truck and go God damn it. Even though he's bigger than the truck, for sure. <laughs> he is. He doesn't. No, no, no transport in all of 40k actually fits its oh. models inside of it. Like State I room. have, I have an impulsor over there, and it is by far like the closest to being able to fit its components in. But it is. Uh, the Skitari transport's actually really good at that. Could you fit? Oh, you probably could. That's good. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Uh, Rust stalkers, you can't fit, but Skitari, you can. Because I've actually put ten Skitari inside of it before. I think you could fit maybe five Primaris into an Impulsor. Maybe. Which is pretty close to its capacity, because what, close. they hold six now? Yeah. yeah, something like that. You could definitely just put a bunch of Harlequins hanging off of their uh, Star Weaver, like as as rules say you should, just hanging off of it like a line behind it. Yeah, <laughs> the orcs just believe he can fit. Thanks, Elopoozle. <laughs> and Taos, you can fit five Marines in a drop pod with those seatbelts. You can't fit ten Marines in a drop pod with it. You can't even fit five Marines in those seats, unless you're talking like old school, like third edition Marines where they were like tiny. Oh, yeah. I've looked, the it. seats in those drop pods are not to scale. <laughs> I want a true scale drop pod now then. That's... Yeah, I would do it. Like from like a real one to one where it drops out of the sky. You can get the dreadnought <laughs> drop pod for that and like problem solved. <laughs> or the dread or the dread claw. The dread claw might be closer to the right size as yeah. well. You can balance five howling banshees on the front wings of a falcon. That's pretty close. That's probably how you deliver banshees in, in 40k is they just jump off the wings like old timey acrobats. Uh, and then other notable changes from what we've seen uh, is here we go is now a one CP strat to give you plus two to advance and charge rolls made for your unit, which on your wall turn is real spooky. Yeah, pick one thing to absolutely connect. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's gas not, and those and mega knobs right there. I wonder if anything will get assault ramp. Then can you imagine running that transport forward, getting somebody out? 
<laughs> charge. There's going to be such a man. There's like, I mean, orcs were good at this before, but the idea that you're really, you can just throw like, here's between six and 12 units that I am charging you with this turn. Yeah. Hope you can figure this out. Cause if you can't, the game is over. <laughs> yeah, you got to dig your way out. I mean, it's the same thing. It's the same way that the golf pressure list works right now. Uh, and DBSD, yeah, you are correct that Andorra isn't actually Spain, but it's an enclave. It's close enough. <laughs> kind of like saying the Vatican City isn't Italian. Probably. Um, <laughs> who is the next preview then after right. Orcs? After that, we had the Dusty Boys who are sitting at like 32% win rate. Thousand Sons. Uh, and they got the Kabbalistic Rituals as their army role, which some of them look okay, and some of them look absolutely dumb. I kind of like it. There's that one that allows you just to turn off armor saves. Yeah, that's, that's not <laughs> going to be a problem at all for I some armies. <laughs> There's the other one where, like, they talk about being able to doom bolt people still. Which has yeah. like no restrictions, if I remember correctly. So you can just yeah. bolt whatever you want. It's an enemy unit with an 18 inches invisible to the psyker. On a one, it takes D3 mortal wounds. On a two to five, it's D3 plus three. And on a six, it's D3 plus six mortal wounds. Yeah. Yeah. Seems good. Seems real good, especially since they also previewed the Moodleth Vortex Beast that doubles the range of any uh, ritual, ritual when you're standing next to them. Look, man, those are great lone operatives that you've got standing there. Oh. Watch as I just zap one of them like Gilliman, like just clean off the table with a doom I guess bolt. that is the one thing that can target lone operatives outside of 12, isn't it? It's not a ranged attack, is it? It's just, no, it's not. It's just, it's a, just a zap. It's, it's a we're bolt. Back, we're back to the world of psychic. Psychic things are not attacks. Yep. What are you going to do? <sighs> Please no. I feel like they just cut, they sort of cut the uh, foreplay out of it and were like, in the end, these were in fact just range shooting attacks that dealt mortals instead of. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially since now you can, uh, with their detachment rule, which is the cult of magic, uh, you can give them, le you can give their psychic weapons lethal hits, sustained hits, or devastating wounds, uh, all of which options just terrify me. Yeah, it seems good. Devastating wounds just seems like one of those rules that's going to leave me in like shambles later on in life. Yes, that's that's really all I can say. Yeah, I, I from what I've been gleaning from the previews, I feel like every single index that I read when I'm trying to build armies for 10th is going to be how many sources of devastating wounds do I have and how many sources of mortal wound protection do I have? Yep. Which yep. makes last week's preview of the Codex for <laughs> uh, the, the Custodes Codex for Feel No Pain Against Mortal Wounds real nice. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah, if we're, going into addition, cool... if we're going into addition mortal wounds, that mortal wound protection will be nice. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, Armin looks like a beast. Rubik Marines look pretty cool, but they are dusty boys. Um, they don't actually have all his dust anymore, which is kind of sad after two editions of that. Um, Somebody finally broke out the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> uh, and then... Um, You're they're... not even a dad, Nathan. Come on. <laughs> it says stats dad in my name. No. <laughs> <laughs> Like I like I asked on X and One last week, can I be a dad even if I'm not a dad? As long as it's I a state of mind. Just ask Pedro Pascal. This is true. This yeah. is true. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, they showed off the their one CP stratagem that uh, 
after you target a thousand suns unit uh you make a unit that's targeting you psychic weapons hazardous and gives your unit a four up feel no pain against psychic attacks which as we will talk about with the next preview is <laughs> a big fat middle finger to them <laughs> Are you saying that the Grey Knights preview, a psychic marine chapter, might not like when you turn all of their psychic weapons into murder themselves? Man. Yeah. Like, I mean, they made everything that Grey Knights have that's good psychic. Silencers, psi cannons, the uh the nemesis force weapons where they just collapsed everything down um even the the nemesis great sword like all the nemesis weapons and all of the uh psi weapons are now psychic weapons which i really hope great knights have a way of buffing psychic weapons because if not they're going to look at a, at the thousand suns match and be like uh-huh so yes, i attack do. you with five guys and i immediately have to take five hazard tests and you will four up feeling the pain against me fuck at least it's just one unit. Saving graces, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to try to find a silver lining of some kind. <laughs> like the fact that Grey Knights have teleport assault as their army rule. Oh, and turn is so good. It, it is turn, quite good. You can teleport three units and just deep strike them wherever That's you want again. Tough. Just deep strike them nine inches away, anywhere on the table, every turn for fun and profit. And yep. board control, ostensibly, I hope. Um, they also said they also showed off their detachment rule, which is teleport shunt, where every time a unit that advances, it can just add six to its move characteristic, and it counts as having fly as it like teleports through things, I guess, which yeah. is fine. Another movement rule, essentially. But the coolest thing that I saw actually is that it looks like Grey Knights might all have a two-up save now. Based on yeah. purgation squads, purgation squads have a two-up save base, which is kind of nice. Yeah, that is actually pretty cool. I do. Uh, I think that's one of the challenges that Grey Knights have long had. Like they are the psychic Marines, but like they're supposed to be the elite of the Marines, and so like their armor being slightly better is a cool way of showing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it also might make them really annoying to kill. Then the the Grandmaster and Nemesis Dread Dread Knight seems like an actual character, a monster hunter, because he can give himself reroll hits and reroll wounds and reroll damage rolls into monsters or vehicles. Seems pretty good. Seems legitimate. Yeah, that dude's gonna slam running into uh, your opponent's big boys. You're just gonna teleport him someplace, you know, inconvenient. Charge some poor monster. Turn the monster into dust. Yeah, repeatedly. Oh, Ashley, if you haven't been paying attention to the previews, uh, back at the end of April, they first talked about the the hazardous weapon ability, um, saying it harkens back to previous editions where, um, which kills the shooter or inflicts mortal wounds for characters and big models on an unlucky roll. So that's what we know so far. Um, and the way that it used to work was you would make your attacks and then you would do a test afterwards. So. I think it was called, uh, it wasn't called Hazardous before, it was called something, uh, was it Gets Hot, I think? Gets Hot was the rule, yeah. That's the rule in Horus Heresy, which makes sense then, given... Yeah, they, they've been pulling a lot of stuff from both old editions and, like, Horus Heresy 2.0, which I've been really liking. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what we know about Hazardous. Um, when we see the full rules, we will know more. Yeah. And mostly, um, I... Mostly, I just wanted to take over because the next faction preview after this one is like my favorite army ever. It's yours. Like, 
I don't care that Anthony's not here. It's going to be my favorite army today. And we're going to talk about Drukari, <laughs> who have a like a version of Power from Pain that makes me both sad and extremely pleased at the same time. So Power from Pain is the new rule where you can you can essentially get three of these tokens and then you earn more tokens throughout the game for doing essentially the things that your army wants to do anyways, which is break units or kill units, right? And you can spend these tokens to get reroll advances, reroll charge rolls, or reroll hit rolls in the fight or shooting phases of the game, which I think is kind of good. Gone are the days of being able to advance and charge for your whole army for a turn, but instead you can spend pain tokens now to increase the efficiency of everything that you wanted to do anyways. Here's on-demand rerolls. Yeah, on-demand rerolls for tokens you're going to earn throughout the game. You can just throw tokens at things. Um, but other than that, real space raids is their detachment rule just gives you even more pain tokens. So one more for each, if you include an Archon, a Succubus and a Homunculus, so up to three extra pain tokens. If you include three characters that you may or may not include in your list, I don't know. Otherwise it looks like Venom's got the Sagittar treatment where they can split units into five mans. If you have a 10 man unit that's going into them. The only thing that I am a little... A little scared of is that it looks like they reduced the invulnerable saves on venoms which kind of scares me a little because they aren't particularly <laughs> tough to begin with at t6 and six wounds yeah that was probably that, the lowest like the worst glow up so to speak in a vehicle that we've seen because they were what t5 with six wounds and yeah. a four mm -hmm. up armor before with a five up invulnerable. yeah so they had the and minus one to hit and they were minus one to hit due to shadow fields or whatever the rule was called um, yeah, whereas now they get minus one to hit from stealth, as they've talked about. Yep, they have this stealth keyword on there somewhere, right? Yeah, it's the last one after firing deck six, which <sighs> is basically the same as them being open-topped. Yes, firing deck is my favorite rule. Firing deck six just means they all get to shoot out of it all the time. Or rather the... the <laughs> and then Cabalites look actually pretty decent. Um Sadistic Raiders lets them sit in a transport and sticky objectives, which is kind of nice because otherwise they just sat in Raiders and didn't really do anything in particular aside from shoot out of them. Uh, <laughs> but my favorite thing is that they gave the three rules to a weapon that I wanted them to never give to oh, a weapon. <laughs> why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> they gave <laughs> Drukari, twin Drukari Haywire, Haywire Blasters have anti-vehicle four up devastating wounds and twin links which means every wound roll of a four up against a vehicle, they do th three mortal wounds to it because it counts as a critical wound. And they have twin links, so they reroll all of those. And you can throw pain tokens at that unit and they can get them rerolling all their hits. Fortunately, it's just two shots. And that means you're probably not like devastating your opponent's vehicles completely. It's fine. I'm sure there's no way to cram, you know, so anywhere between six and maybe 20 of those into a single list. Surely that won't be. I mean, if you can put 20 pain uh, engines in a list, I would be the happiest man alive because I love Talos so can't much. Can you only run 18 right now? So if you can run 20, that means they really screwed with the unit size. <laughs> I think we can only run, are they coming units of three for Talos, right? When right now they're nine by Talos? nine. You can run nine, oh. three by three Kronos and three by three Talos. Yeah, I was just talking about just Talos, just massive units of Talos, just. 10 man units of Talos now. Yeah. <laughs> that would be just a little scary. And uh, please know. Um, and then Lilith has anti-infantry 2 and sustained hits 2 um, at strength 3, AP 2, damage 1, which she will probably actually need in order to kill infantry because mm -hmm. strength 3 is 
not very good in melee combat, as far as I can tell, based yeah, on looking at Marine and Terminator data sheets. Otherwise, and then Alliance of Agony lets you discard a pain token to give your Archon, Succubus, and Homunculus all the effects of a pain token for one pain token and one CP, which seems pretty good. And we can assume that they're all going to be leading their respective units of like a Cap Light Squad, a Witch Squad, and a uh, um, Rack Squad. Rack Squad, yeah. Does make me excited too, but that is that that does sound very fun. Um, the restriction on it makes me a little worried because it says you can only use this stratagem if you were able to select all three of the target models stated above. So like, you have to have all three of them on the table. You can't have one of them hiding in a transport or something like that. Yeah, that's true. That and does make if me your opponent frightened. gets wise to it and is like, I'm just going to kill that. that <laughs> I'm going to kill that witch uh, unit over there so that you don't have a succubus anymore. And historically, homunculi haven't exactly been great and doing some of the stuff that you want them to probably do with these tokens. But yeah, it's fun. I like the paint. The paint token system looks really thematic. Um, mm -hmm. Someone did point out when we were going through the review the first time around that um, mm -hmm. because you get tokens every time you destroy a unit, but also every single time an enemy unit fails a battle shock test. Um, <laughs> It, it 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 actually would make a lot of sense to leave like a single guardsman alive for an, for like three rounds. Just, <laughs> just, a farm. Just, just farm pain tokens off of him. I mean, that seems in character for the Drukari. They're like, it yeah, does. you leave yeah. you leave Jim over there. He's gonna watch as we murder all of his friends. <laughs> You're just gonna keep getting sadder, <laughs> and he makes us stronger. Alrighty. The, the last one we're gonna talk about is the Infinite Childrens of the Stars. <laughs> Why? We're going to talk right. about Gene Steeler Colt, uh, and I'll let Jeremy do it. Yeah, all right. If Jeremy you've been living under sad. a rock today, <laughs> Gene Steeler Colt's army rule is cult ambush, and it is as simple as this. Every time a cult ambush unit is destroyed, you roll a d6. On a 4+, plus, you put it back into cult ambush, um, and you place a token anywhere on the board. Um, outside of 9 inches of, of enemy units, but we'll get to why that's important. Uh, and then um, if your opponent ends a move within nine inches of the token, the cold ambush marker goes away. But then in your at the end of your opponent's movement phase, uh, you can then replace as many of those tokens as you have units in, in cult ambush with those units fully regenerated. Minus characters. Uh, well, that that presumes that they have the the ability, which the patriarch that they previewed today does not have the ability. True. So I'm going to assume that none of the characters are going to have it. So they are just one offs. Oh, it just has an exclusion at the bottom for attached. Yeah, it has an exclusion at the bottom, um, but it is one of these things where you'll also notice that the at least the one character they previewed doesn't have the cult ambush ability. So even if he was on his own and he dies, you don't roll for him. Um, totally fair. With battle line units getting plus three to that roll, which means they just cruise. Yeah, they, it. they, right on it's it. on a one up. If you can figure I mean, out how to roll a zero on a D6, let me know, because I might need that for playing against GSC. I mean, I did have people ask me how, no matter what, on 8D6, they'd always get a pair. So. <laughs> somebody, <laughs> life will find a way is my answer to that statement. God. Life will find a way. Somebody's going to roll a die, and it is going to crack down the middle. 
Yeah. And it will roll a zero. <laughs> uh, that one guy does a one still fail because ones always fail. In ninth edition, ones to hit, ones to wound, and ones to save sure. always fail. Those are the only things that explicitly are failures. Because if you roll a double one and you're less than three inches away, you still charge. You don't critically fail your charge. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> Please, GW, be... don't get any ideas. I like my <laughs> snake eyes charges. You roll, you roll double ones, and actually you have to roll a desperate, like a difficult ground test for the unit, and each one, <laughs> then don't. you roll for each model in the unit, and each one causes the unit to lose a to lose a model. Don't don't bring difficult, don't don't bring dangerous terrain into this GW, please. Oh man, the can last thing I want is my strikes? rhino to get immobilized. Can we break back deep strike scatters actually, and then like yes, difficult bring back scatter dice, live the dream. No. <laughs> I just. I just want somebody to roll the hazard thing for Deep Strike and have a whole unit of Terminators like disappear oh, into best. the ether. It was. It sounds amazing. I love the thought of it. I don't actually want this to happen, but I do love activating Cliff at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> I do. I unironically want. Oh god. <laughs> um, I do like the idea that like it sort of harkens back to the old school wherever fantasy tournaments where it'd be like orcs get an extra 400 points to play with you're like your gsc player uh it's an gets extra, average, an extra to just play like with. 600 to a thousand points of army compared to what you bring oh, it, it makes me wonder how they're going to point cost these like are they going to points cost them <laughs> as if they are infinite units <laughs> we'll find are out they're going to point cost them oh. as if they get like decreasing number of successes Mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. infinite series of halves <laughs> <laughs> so they cost just infinite points well no <laughs> the series of, of some of the halves is two yeah eventually eventually the problem is eventually. you know battle an infinite always series comes back infinite. which is True. just a little spooky uh and then their detachment rule that came from below uh it seems like there's still going to be a shooting army but maybe the melee is maybe they'll have some way of delivering melee from deep strike um but mm -hmm. basically when you get set up as reinforcements you get sustained hits one and ignores cover yep until the end of the fight phase as well so you get those sustained hits yeah. and that's, that's what i mean like maybe aberrants and and like gene stealers will have some kind of way of reliably connecting from deep strike uh because if not nine inch charges is uh but we already know the uh, the risks on that. <laughs> Seth, we have no idea if pure strains are battle lines. Seth, have... Seth asks the most traumatizing question, though, which uh, is, can you imagine uh, the current existence of pure strains just coming back every time you killed them? Not that Seth. Don't put that into the air. <laughs> yeah, do not manifest that kind of energy. This is already <laughs> scary enough. Otherwise, it uh, looks like they can take Brood Brothers still up to 500 points. Yep. Except they can't um, take like basically the same selection of units they can't take right now, which is like commissars, special characters, ogrins, mm -hmm. ratlings, tempestus, and stuff like that. It means they could, if there are Kasserkin in the new guard book, they could take Kasserkin. Yeah, actually. Uh, actually, do they have the tempestus keyword right now, Science? I don't think they uh, do. Kasserkin don't, I don't believe. Yeah. I think they have it's a different ones. keyword. Mm -hmm. um although someone did point out to me that because there's no like you take a patrol or an ox uh you could just take 500 points of indirect <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's actually my favorite that sounds great i'm gonna have to talk to some just, people just just nine thud guns yeah just what you needed right just what you always wanted oh 
Otherwise, it looks like the power sledgehammer is better than most custodies weapons, continuing to prove that a stop sign or a giant hammer with a battery on it is still better than like a finely tuned and well crafted, like dark age technology halberd. (laughs) (laughs) On the one hand, it's hard to argue with just the mass of like a hundred pound piece of concrete attached to a steel pipe. On the other hand, like, come on, guys. It's a little unwieldy, okay? (laughs) Uh, Someone pointed out the patriarch is just dumb now. Uh, because at the start of the fight phase, each enemy unit within six inches of this model must take a battle shock test. Every time I see a unit that does something like this, it makes me sad about the Tyranids. And this isn't like the opponent was like, point at a unit and it takes a battle shock. No, no. If the Never. if the uh, <laughs> if the patriarch, which looks like a terrifying melee uh, model, yeah. uh, and will probably attach to a terrifying melee unit, um, you uh, I mean, it's going to be in the does... middle of your army. Real fast. He does the thing that we love the most. He gives himself in the unit that he leads devastating wounds. Well, he already has devastating wounds. Yeah, but he gives it to the unit as well. And he has twin yeah. linked because he's got four arms. <laughs> he's got four arms. <laughs> he he did. Got four arms. They're all the number of attacks. How many attacks does the Patriarch currently have? I think he lost an attack. Or Which two. losing an attack for t- he already rerolled wounds though, right? I don't I can't think remember. Re-rolled I haven't seen a Patriarch right. on the table in so long because Myriad Cults is the way to play GSC right now. That's reasonable. And I don't yes, think Existence he... UK points out that once per game you can uh, make it a 12-inch bubble, which just gets silly here. Look, man, if your whole army didn't want to take Battleshock tests, you shouldn't have put it so close to my Patriarch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a Patriarch <laughs> lost one attack and a wound is what it looks like. Okay, um, but gained a whole bunch of ablative wounds because now he's in a unit. Yeah, he joins the unit, so now he's got a bunch of ablative wounds. He's got a, he's still got his four up and roll. Psychic familiar is different now. Which, yeah, you just double the range of Cosmic Horror, which is the six inch battle shock. Yeah, thing. I think one of the interesting things that we still haven't seen, and we only have like a couple days of previews, yes, because they're doing Imperial Agents tomorrow. They said something about Titans on Friday, and I'm assuming Thursday is going to be the the non Codex Marines that they mentioned on Twitter. Um, is uh, the big question is just like. Have we seen anything that stops psychic abilities or turns them off? Um, the most we've seen are the feel no pains from them, right? Which is yeah, because like the sisters of silence have a three up feel no pain against them, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's it. We haven't seen any like negation mechanics. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Um, It'd be interesting to see what like the Colexus does, right? I'm assuming it'll just be the same where it's just like a three up feel no painting and psychic again. But I don't know. Because we have Imperial Agents as our preview tomorrow, which includes assassins. I really want to see what the Vindicare does. Yeah. I desperately want them to be ludicrously overpowered. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially because we've already seen the the Imperial Agents preview of how many you can take in an Imperium army. Oh yeah. And if I remember correctly, Strike Force was two characters and two like attendant units so like if you can soup in two assassins into any imperium army with no cost aside from the points Mm -hmm. and the assassins are decent um i would accept decent at this point because the assassins in their current existence are just terrible i mean you almost never saw them for the entire edition yeah um, and I will say that one of the big things that affected that was the change to lookout, sir, as opposed to the old character protection rule that 8th mm-hmm. edition had. Yeah. Uh, because now you always had to babysit them with something. Um, so now, like, who knows? Maybe all of the um, all the assassins have lone operative all the time. 
So you can just have a vindicator sitting at the back on a turret on a, on a tower, being like, "And everything I see, and I get plunging fire." <laughs> so his gun will be AP two, is what you're saying? Stop <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> <laughs> uh, as long as the Calexus ignores everything save wise and has nothing but their fists that they attack with that'd be great uh, as for Elowuzzle are they going to fix it so they can properly take an Imperial Agents or Navy Army who knows um, my intuition is no but who knows maybe they'll have an army rule my, my thoughts on the current like Imperial Agents line is that they kind of lack both durability and hard removal. Like, short of putting a knight in there, which we haven't seen the rules for how knights and chaos knights work with Imperium and Chaos, um, I don't really see anything in the Agents of the Imperium that's that potent. Like, a lot of them are, like, good accessories, mission-playing units, um, helper stuff more than anything else. Yeah. So... We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm I'm be perfectly happy to be wrong because uh, uh, means that like I could you know build another Imperium army. I would just love to have assassins. Honestly, that were good. They're great models. It would be nice to have them be good enough to warrant including in an army. I love the old Calidus ability for the the CP fuckery. So good. Oh yeah, so good. I even like the Eversor assassin. I love the idea mm -hmm. of just sending something like that in and then he blows up at the end. Like that's great. Those are all great things. Yeah. No. Because remember, your assassin doesn't need to be secretive if just everybody is dead. <laughs> like assassins don't need to be sneaky about it. No. They just have to kill their target. It also makes me hope that they release some of those Horus Heresy assassins because they started to release some more assassins. Because after Kingmaker, they were like, "Yeah, by the way, we have like five extra schools of assassins people. we just never yeah. talk about." Like. Oh, <laughs> but they'll do something silly like they'll include the logistics assassin. <laughs> Who I love. Who I absolutely adore. Amazing. <laughs> but they'll be like, yeah, so you get uh, an extra CP a turn. <laughs> from the that sounds pretty good. Wouldn't be bad. Yeah. That like, wouldn't be bad. Is not I'll what take I'm that saying. for 80 points. Yeah, sure. Oh, man. We're going to have to determine points versus CP costs. Yeah, that's that'll be fun. Later. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're kind of meanwhile, I see somebody in chat saying that the patriarch data sheet is just worse. But he true. gives he gives devastating wounds to his unit, unit, which is amazing. Yeah. And yes, Alex Taus, I will admit that I do not pay as much attention to Alien Majesty as I should. Um, so for the user for anyone listening to the podcast right now, uh Eric Lathuris runs a uh, blog and Patreon called Alien Majesty, dedicated to all things uh, Great Devourer. Uh, and apparently, Eric has been running a Patriarch in his current list, which, if I remember correctly, is Rusted Claw. We probably should be able to keep closer track of it since there's like what six six Gene Sealer Cult players in the, on the planet or something like that. Part of the problem is is that he was at an event this weekend. He won the event, but the event was too small for me to look at it. <laughs> and it doesn't even matter. Look, Eric, <laughs> go go play in real events. Sorry, I'm kidding. RTTs yeah. are real events. Don't get in my DMs being salty about it. I don't need it. <laughs> <I'm proud of laughs> Underline the underlying thing there, Tao's being that like Eric did it, which doesn't necessarily <laughs> past performance yeah. does not oh. indicate future performance for other players. 
Yeah, man, the one of the best players on the planet won an RTT with a patriarch in his list. We should pay more attention to it. No, it was Nothing. it was a five round event. It just didn't no. hit the twenty five person threshold. Sorry, mini GT, mini GT. <laughs> <laughs> man, he's gonna get into my DMs and be mad at me later, and that's okay. No, Eric's too kind oh, for that. I know he'll, he he'll definitely talk some shit about you publicly, but he's too kind to slip into your DMs and be mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I said nobody could roll a zero, and somebody immediately sent me a picture of them rolling a zero, which was a die balanced on its corner facing <laughs> So there's no die. Excellent. Thank you for that. All right. Shall we uh, get into the stats that we were talking about going through? Looking. <laughs> we got the best we got... part of this was we went an hour <laughs> and we haven't talked about numbers. We haven't actually gotten to the show subject. We did it, boys. Uh, we did it. Right. We've we've managed to vamp quite a bit. Good job. <laughs> Vibing. All right. Where do we want to start with this? Cliff um, has visuals. Yeah. I mean, it's the same visuals everybody else has access to through the heroic work of the stat check team. And our dashboard being placed online. Are we going to go in order then from start of ninth, basically through <laughs> stats? Toe dip well, it's not going to be the start of ninth. So just to set yeah. expectations here, we did only start collecting oh, data as a group in February of 2022, which yes. is the start of the Nachman season. Um, right. So we're going to look at Nachman, Nephilim, and Arcs of Omen, and then little interspersed bits here and there when we really lost our minds. Mm-hmm. All right, Cliff, what's our first uh, bit of psychic damage here? <laughs> what is our oh, first? Boy. What is the first scar we need to like to pick at and reveal? Well, prepare yourselves. Back, if you recall, back in Knockman's, we opened up with the release of Tau, Custodes, and Gene Stillerfeld's. Oh, oh, this is my favorite. It's the part where GW buffed a faction before its release, before knowing how powerful it was. Oh, it was the best. So as one of the Custodes players who saw the preview rules and was like, we lost a lot of durability here. What's going on? When the actual codex came out and it became clear that we essentially had infinite CP and infinite stratagem <laughs> use, it was like, oh, okay, never mind. We're much tougher than we've ever been before. I'll this just turn like, off your reels and transhuman every single time you, every ta you target me. <laughs> In every phase where it's necessary. Um, this is yeah, the start of me never trusting a Custodes player ever again, I know. by the way. <laughs> yeah, Knockland opened up and it was pretty clear that there was like Tau and Custodes and then everybody else. Uh, it was pretty egregious. That's and these different. numbers, these, this is ridiculous. Over 1,100 games, 800 here for Tau, um, with just outrageous overreps, outrageous 4-0 start numbers, an outrageous number of event wins and a huge proportion of the player population in the case of Custodes, which makes this overrep number that much more ridiculous. Yes. No, this it was the part where I was reminded that like at several weeks during our data, Jeremy, I think we had Custodes overtake Space Marines as the dominant faction for weeks. Yes. Yeah. There was, I think it was two weeks in a row, right before the first data slate of Nachmund, where Custodes outnumbered the combined marine group uh yeah. and of course like i mean you ask why it's like well you look at the stats for them and you consider how long it takes to hobby up a, a custodes army it's quick it's not long because it's like 30 models yeah and a very uh, forgiving paint scheme so what were those numbers actually at for anyone who is want who is listening to the podcast right now so this is all knockment 1186 games played by custodes players they had a 65 percent win rate 
a 2.01 over rep. 19% of players went 4-0 to start their events, of Custodes players, that is. They won 13 of the events in Nachman's 1.0 release um, and made up 13% of the player population, um, which is an enormous number. Yeah, outside of Tau, when you just look at this, you can see it's at least double or more than double of any other faction in Nachman by representation. Yeah, they were everywhere and, and they were kicking ass. All right, and then the Tau. Tau, we're at 65% win rate overall over 800 plus games, had a 2.68 over up. 15% of their players went 4 0 to start their events. They won six events and they made up 9% of the overall player population. So this 65% number, I'm going to just to go back real quick, um, sort of under like belies how large it actually was because there are a few people trolling with some of the custom traits, um, <laughs> the likely actual play rate, actual win rates uh, lied somewhere between like 67 and 69%. was just, just outrageous. I don't know. I think my favorite number there is the 7% number of Farsight <laughs> Enclave's allied worlds Stop with that. a 74 percent win rate this was likely this was people that figured out that like oh technically i can do this and still take an ethereal and that combo slammed yeah you're like hey i can take an ethereal get all the benefits of taking farsight and just slam people into the ground over and over and over again just i'm I'm gonna steal from you for a minute because i need to share this with someone uh window i'm gonna make things go forever I love that. Whoa! (laughs) Madness. Oh, man. Now everybody can see our behind-the-scenes stuff, too. This is what we all look like in the street yard. (laughs) So anyways, these are some things that that people were asking me about was when you looked at Tau, how did they kind of break out? Like, which which, which sub-factions did the best over the course of since Nachman? And so I went into the dashboard and filtered them down by each one. So this is Farsight Enclaves as a whole. And you can see they peaked at like a 67%. And this is a rolling four-week average, if I remember correctly. I don't see anything on my screen right now. I can't see it, yeah. Oh. All right, not working then. That's right. Oh, you know what? Let me, maybe it won't let us do both at the same time. I'll stop screen sharing. and now you That try. might be what's going on. Yeah, we're, we're, we're really capable of at doing this. Uh, <laughs> and I'm also going to make it so I don't do the, the infinite loop again, because that may have just broken things. It's fine. Not that one, because that's not that's something that I will talk about later. All right, there we go. Uh, share a screen. Oh, I know what happened. There we go. All right. So this 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 was me going through the the dashboard and kind of looking at um what was like where the peak was. So like Tau Empire peaked at sixty seven percent, and if I remember correctly, this is a four week running average on the dashboard. It is indeed. So like. This smooths out the peak somewhat. Every now and then you'd have a week where they were like 70-something. Um, <laughs> uh, so that, this was this this was Farsight Enclaves. Uh, and then you have Taucept, which again peaked in the like high 60s. And then you have the thing that get that drove all of us mad in the early days was the <laughs> Farsight Enclave's <laughs> Allied World, which was in charge. the mid to high 70s for the first few weeks. And then 
disappeared in June of 2022. Any idea why people stopped taking the Farsight Enclave's Allied World in June of 2022? Oh, you Cliff, Nathan? Because there was an uh, FAQ. <laughs> Where they finally closed that loophole of, no, you can't be Farsight Enclave's and take an ethereal. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah, this this what was definitely that moment of like why. <laughs> nah, man, it's cool. My friend's dad, he's cool, guys. <laughs> All right, yeah, Taz, we should definitely get Dem- Sam Lemon to run this next time because we yeah. really don't usually screen share on uh, yeah. on on stream merits. All right, back to you, Cliff, for the <laughs> next snapshot of Nakba. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of custodians. <laughs> Palace must have been very clean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was Nachman 1.0. That brings us back. Now we get to 1.1 with the Eldari release. <laughs> this is oh, this fuck. was my favorite nonsense that ever happened. Because this, this was when like... <laughs> this <laughs> is the dumbest thing. Please go through it, Cliff. This is the most out, I I think. Arguably, maybe the most outrageous time in meta balance for all of Warhammer 40k. Granted, I was gone between fifth and eighth, so like, who knows what happened in those sixth, seventh years? But we didn't record much in the early editions. Yeah. Like eighth was when things really started to pop off with stat centering and the like. So yeah. getting comparable data is difficult. Uh, but yeah, what what is that Harlequins number? Harlequins, for those of you listening or uh, unable to watch in real time. Harlequins, and this is over the course of 500 games, won 73% of their games and an overlap of 4.69. 28% of players went 4-0 to start their events. They won 13 of the events during this time, and they made up 5% of the player population. What are the win rates off to the right, though? To be clear, (laughs) some people were trolling by taking Twilight because light Harlequins players who made up 79% of the Harlequin player base won 77% of their games. And dark players who were 20% of the player base won 81% of their games. This is outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. It's funny because like hidden underneath this is that there are two factions still performing way out of whack, like right underneath Harlequins, but Harlequins, Harlequins is egregious. And in actually looking back at this, it is funny to see that it was only a 5% meta representation faction, which probably hyperinflates their overup a little bit, but not, not a lot because 5% is a lot of the player base. That is a sizable portion of the player base. And over four is crazy, horrific. There was a point there where we were thinking that their four-week average win rate was going to hit above 80%. And we were all they waiting for it. We were waiting close. There was that one time where they got to like 79%. And we were just watching it. And we were like, if they win any more games. And the only reason I think that they didn't is because somebody went 0-6 that week. <laughs> yeah, someone some, at an that- event. That was the weekend of Adepticon, where yeah. I think the top eight at Adepticon was like six Harlequin players or something ridiculous. I can't remember the exact number because of the psychic damage. Blurred, blanked that out. Um, but yeah, there were there was one person at that event who had a beautiful army, was but was primarily a hobbyist, and so didn't bring like a strong list and went 0 and 6, and that tanked the numbers enough to bring them below 80%. Yeah. <laughs> Because it was uh, yeah. decimal points of percentages at that point. Yeah, it was 79.6 or 79.8. It was 
we we were definitely going there, and I'd, I'd, I'd show the stats every week, and we just kind of go, oh, fuck, why? <laughs> Nick Blackburn, Harlequins and Farfair and Balanced, okay. Yes, right now they are. Back then they were not. I love how underneath this we still have Custodes managing to pull a 60% win rate, and Tau still pulling a 59, even with Harlequins in the meta. And they're still making up like 10 and 12% of the a meta. huge, right, a huge proportion of the player, but 12 and 11%. Custodians those are players. huge numbers. Like, like one between those three factions, you have more than a quarter of the of the game. Now, yeah. I do want to point something out here. What was the number of four and starts? Ooh, four for the for the percentage for yeah for Harlequins. Oh, twenty eight percent. Okay, so what is the average, like the ideal number that should start four and Oh gosh, six depends on their. Six depends on their quarter percent, right? <laughs> yeah, like uh, all things being equal in a balanced meta where you are winning 50% of your games, six and a quarter percent of your players should go true. four no to start. So, it being 28% more than four <laughs> times as many of the expected number. Can we look at that? Can we look at that record distribution? Can we see the event record distribution? Can you click on that article? Oh, yeah, sure I just want to see it because it looks wild, right? Here, let's do this. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, man. So that's like a normal distribution would be situated over like three, right? Like two to three wins, probably. Yeah. And this is definitely right shifted. Here's the shift. This <laughs> is what it looks like for everyone. And this yep, is what it looks like sense. for Harlequins. <laughs> I love it. I love everything about this. These win it's, margins. Yep. Just, just crushing people. <laughs> by 50 plus points over and over. So, yeah, ideally, folks, everything around that is closer to what the average across all factions looks like, which is relatively centered. Like, that's a pretty good normal distribution of event wins there. given, like, how event wins and win margin distribution should work. That is definitely not what a balanced faction looks like. Which they have been adjusted multiple times since then. They have been tweaked, and where they're sitting right now is actually quite good, as we were talking about. Like, they're 48% win rate, and they're occasionally topping events. Yep. Um, they also show up in almost every single Craft Worlds list because that Death Jester is silly and very fun. Yeah. It's, Look, it's man, if you didn't want me to snipe you with an auto Tesling sniper rifle, you wouldn't have characters. <laughs> <laughs> you just wouldn't uh, have them. Oh, I want to see how that thing works now. I know. So, again, oh, to wrap up for the people that are listening, um, on release, Harlequins were outrageous. 73% win rate, 4.69 over at 28% of players went 4-0 to start their events. They won 13 events. 5% of the player base played Harlequins. Narrowly, not even narrowly, <laughs> Custodians and Tau, who were already absolutely ridiculous and at this point had not necessarily received nerfs, I don't think, were trailing behind, trailing behind significantly at 60 and 59% win rates uh, and over 1.0 over reps uh what a crazy time what a crazy yeah, time it was, was. It, it was a very silly time for us to start doing um the regular stats reports five I weeks remember, five weeks i just of remember time. all three of us were in the chat at that point as well mm -hmm. yeah. and like all of well this was actually the back chat for just stats nerds which eventually merged with like the main chat when jeremy and cliff were both brought into the fight club like backstage chat and we were just like all sitting there like what's gonna break first the 80 percent win rate or the meta <laughs> <laughs>
It was the meta. The meta broke first, but that was... That yeah, was and, and, and thankfully, shortly after Adepticon, I think it was like two weeks afterwards, we saw a balanced data slate that did adjust the worst defending parts of, of those three factions. Void Weavers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Void Weavers <laughs> caught a 40% point increase. Oof. Yeah, like the largest point increase we had ever seen at that point, just, just straight up. Yeah. All right. What's our next snapshot? Still quite good. All right. That brings us to the Q2 data slate and the release of Tyranids. Um, <laughs> I like, I like how we've just kind of flipped things around a little bit. <laughs> oh man! So right. Tyranids Codex is released. All hell breaks loose. Harlequins remain good. People start discovering, oh, wait, there's other stuff in this Eldar book that's actually worth it. Turns out craft worlds are also real good. <laughs> oh, wait, it was just hiding underneath all the void weavers. Um, <laughs> so Nogman 1.2, this is how we refer to this meta of Tyranids. Tyranids plus the Q2 uh, data slate release. Tyranids came in with a 65% win rate. This is over nearly 1,400 games, a 3.45 overrep. 19% of tiered players went 4-0 to start their five-round or more events. They won 11 events, and they made up 10% of the player population at this point. They were followed by Harleys at 61% win rate, 3.16 overrep. 12% of players went 4-0 to start their events. They won three uh, and made up 4% of the player population. And then Plano at Eldar, with over 1,100 games played, had a 1.33 overrep. 10% uh, of the players went 4-0 to start their events. They won eight events and made up 9% of the player population. Of course, there are things hidden within each of these faction results. We go to Tyranids, and we see yet again that some people are trolling and holding down the rest of the faction. <laughs> so that the 65% number is actually a little bit deflated relative to what it could be, if not for Kronos and Gorgon players. Um, it became yes. pretty clear pretty early that Leviathan was a go-to. 65% of players chose that faction. And when they chose it, they had a 68% win rate across 796 games. And Pretty then Kraken, it, Kraken is definitely one of those interesting ones where it has a higher win rate, but I think it's because like it was suffused with top-end talent at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think like most of the top-end Tyranid players at that point had picked up Kraken and were playing Kraken for a while there. Mm -hmm. the if I remember especially. correctly, that was the... I think Kraken was one of the only high fleets that John Lennon played yep. um, mm -hmm. through his entire run with, uh, with Tyranids because he just I mean, when you look at the surface of it, the the mobility that Kraken gave you was wild. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, he was very early to the Kraken train, which I think in retrospect, for a for a skilled player was probably better, but was much more taxing in terms of the decision making you had to make over the course of an event. Whereas yeah, I think like, Kraken Raveners were fun as fuck. Yes, they were. Yeah. <laughs> Not to play against, but to play as, yes. Already, let's just, just, just take a look at Harlequins real quick. None listed. What's wrong with you people? List your games. Um, and they were still quite good. This is following mm -hmm. a nerf, like a massive points nerf. Yeah, <laughs> it, it turns out that if you just played it the same way as you played the previous edition of the Codex with yeah. just Star Weavers full of fusion pistols advancing and shooting without penalty, that it was still pretty good. Still yeah. good. It was a Wild. solid codex. Like there were, it was my one genuine criticism of the data slate approach to Harlequins was missing that light uh, advantage for the longest time was just the sheer mobility that being able to advance and shoot as if you were stationary. 
Yeah. Um, so going from there, once they finally addressed that a year later. Uh, <laughs> it is nice. It is nice that we call that out in real time as like uh, the actual core problem. And this is where we see in Asriani that there's like a lot of craft world Eldar players who just like to run whatever nonsense they like. Because, yeah, there's Ulthway right there, which made up the vast majority of games at 436 with an, a win rate that was fine. I think that says 54%. It does, yep. But if you looked at Yanari and you looked at Bealton, but if you really just looked at the custom craft worlds and then hail of doom towards yeah, the almost top, any right? hail of doom combo yeah. all the hail of doom combos were doing amazing but people yeah. in the eldar community definitely were showing like well if i play my unique things i will still win right and we're trying to unique their way to victory which yeah. is the story of sub factions basically to this day <laughs> every yeah. week we talk about iron hands being dragged backwards by people playing pure iron hands and it's just taking people forever to realize that they should just play what's good yeah listen you're entitled to snowflake but if you're trying to go out and win events snowflaking is probably not going to get it done for you and you also can't tell me later that your snowflaking is more effective yes. you cannot Ooh, so many you cannot tell me that yet. So many Ultway arguments back then. No, they're better. Like, mm, they're not. <laughs> we can see <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. I've definitely never had Eldar players say, but yeah, Ultway's better, Nathan. I don't care what the numbers say. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. You can say that. But you cannot say that about the meta as a whole. <sighs> All right. What are we looking at next? Nopin 1.3. Both Knights Codex were released. Yeah. Big boys. Please show me them at the top of the meta, right? Huh? Whoops. <laughs> it looks the exact no. same. What happened? <laughs> what happened? Knights were released. They did the thing that knights do, which is like gatekeep three and two players. <laughs> uh, I think there's also a combination of folks being unfamiliar with what potential was available in the Imperial Knights and Chaos Knights books, mm -hmm. um, which was tough. Um, was this around the point that people were transitioning in Tyranid lists over to Spore Mines as well? Yep. It may have been. I mean, it was still Leviathan, right? It was still a lot yep. of Leviathan, but with Spore Mines kind of chugging up the middle because at this point with Tyranids performing so well, I remember putting Spore Mine devices just into lists to essentially stall out Knight's lists. Yeah. Among yeah. other things. It that turns was out that when you can give Spore Mines imperatives. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. Here, God. This Spore Mine here has a five up invuln and is immune hey. to morale. Good luck yeah. killing it before I exploded on you. I mean, my favorite was always Knights players being like me looking at Knights players and be like, so how far can the back of your base go? <laughs> and then putting spore mines right there so that they yeah. could never move anywhere on the table. There was definitely... on the receiving end of that. That was so deeply unfun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I played two Knights players at the Chicago Open and I did that to both of them. <laughs> and I was just like, you're not going to leave your deployment zone for a while. I'm really sorry about this. And if you do leave your deployment zone, you're going to take like 5d3 mortal wounds from stuff as it explodes. Oh, wow. So, so top three factions in the Knights met the Knights meta was still <laughs> Tyranids, Harlequins, <laughs> and Craft Worlds. Yep. And Custodies and Tower still in the yeah, they're still in there. They're still in the top. The funny thing about the two of them is that they've always <laughs> been in that 50 to 55 range. 
essentially the entire time we've been tracking. Yeah. They you know? like every now and then they would dip ever so slightly below and then come back up again. But like yeah. I can't think of any time when they were like sustained below 50%. Yeah. Also, during this time, I would endlessly get messages from Custodius players telling me that they needed buffs. Just no. put it out there. No, we didn't. Guys. Consistently. That was the thing that I would receive in chats when I, people would be like, oh, man, Custodius are terrible. What do I even play anymore? And I'd be like, look, you got a win rate at near 55%. You're still winning. Like, you're not winning events at this point in the meta, but you were almost consistently winning events across the whole meta. And you still had a perfectly reasonable win rate. Like, it probably was fine. They they, was they, fine. they maintained a really healthy win rate throughout the entire like yeah. Nephilim yeah. and Arc season following that. And the, yeah. the drop off even... in player population though was hilarious. Yeah, like yeah, half it went of from being twelve percent just... to like six percent in a month after <laughs> their first nerf. Yep, it is definitely interesting to watch that transition because Tyranids weren't a particularly popular faction until the new book drop. Mm -hmm. And it felt like basically all of those custodies players just kind of went that way, yeah. <laughs> along with a chunk of the Harlequins and also the um, Tau players, right? Yep. Although Tau yep. still was hovering right around eight to nine percent, even at this point, yeah, doing just fine. Yeah, they're just pop, just popular. People love shooting things. Yep. Love all next. Right. What we got next? Knockman one point. Or, nope. No Knockman. Then Nephilim drops. Oh man. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. We got Nephilim 1.0. <laughs> Son of a. Son of a. These numbers look the same <laughs> somehow. But there right. is one big change that I think is important. Can you switch back to the previous one real quick for just a I second? I sure can. Because I want to talk about what's at the bottom. And I just want to point it out to people. I have no ulterior motive, I promise. <laughs> at the bottom, we definitely have Necrons. Astra Militarum and Raven Guard, and just follow this Necron win rate. I think that's important. Oh. Let's follow that Necron win rate. Oh no! Oh, oh, oh man! What a jump! <laughs> wow! Hey, they figured out how to make them good. From literally fourth to last to fourth, and almost uh, and second most second most event wins at this point, yeah. right? Yep. I mean, yeah. it it does actually give credit to GW that they at this point with doing data slates and missions, they had finally figured out how many levers they had to pull on to make a faction good, which which for Necrons turns out was everything. Give everything core, give give them secondaries that you just score 45 on and give them really, really strong primary control. Um, and you still kill them by the by the fistful. Like you every single Necron think... player that I played just just penciled in no prisoners 15 on my pay on my sheet whenever i would play them yep. but it would still be like yeah i'm gonna score 45 on mine so i don't yeah. care yeah i definitely won games against uh, necrons that yeah, banked on like last turn oh. charges oh. yeah like, i believe it. i won i won a game against a local necrons player because a harpy got a charge into the silent king and I pulled the mortal wound stratagem and I did three mortal wounds to him and he died. <laughs> and that was the only reason I won that game. <laughs> it required a lot of failure points to get there, but you had to like score basically perfect or table the Necron player to win at that point. But yeah, I mean, how Harlequins 59%, Tyranids 59%. Did we also get the sisters book? 
no, we got the sister book previously, but we got their updated faction secondaries for everybody mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, yeah, so they also saw a huge glow up because they got their yeah. updated everything. Secondaries, yeah, everybody got the thing. And for people listening, Harlequins remained on top at a 59% win rate. 1.9 went over at 15% of players went 4-0. Uh, they won seven events and made up 3% of the player population. Tyranids had a 59% win rate of 1.89 over at 14% of their players had a 4-0 event start. They won 15 events and made up 8% of the player population. Tyranids um, good, gotcha. Tyranids good and Harlequins remain good. Gosh. Suddenly Gosh. Necron's good. Yeah. That's Necron's just that making it happen. Zero to hero with 12 event wins, which is a wild number because Tyranids were very, very broken yeah. at this point and had 15 wins. You were starting to see some like decreasing because they had caught i think one nerf at this point mm-hmm. uh, um, actually aoc happened in april of 2022 so it was actually the first round of tau custodies nerfs uh the first round of harlequin nerfs um as well as the as well as aoc being added in. So that was probably the most impactful data slate that we've seen to date with just the sheer volume of changes that they put in there yeah um but yeah, because sisters, they had been trying to make them good for like similar to Necrons. They've been trying to make them good for quite a few uh, balance passes. And Nephilim 1.0, they they hit the nail on the head for both of those armies. I think at this point, you're also starting to see what became sort of an underlying pattern in Nephilim, which is this constriction of faction performance towards that 45 to 55% band. Correct. GW started uh, to, with, without knowing their internals, but they started to really narrow in on the, this is our goal. Things within there don't need to change very much. Things outside of there, we try to bring them in. Either bring them down or bring them up. Yeah, we started to see the meta watch stuff too more frequently for 40k yeah. as well, I think, around this point. I think this yeah. is when we started to see those meta watch articles. And they were actually seemingly doing a better job of it, right? Like, despite 100%. Tyranids and Harlequins, like, those win rates are starting to coast towards 55, mm-hmm. even though they're showing massive dominance. And, I mean, still we have, like, Custodies are still doing well. Chaos Knights have kind of come up a little bit. Uh even Tau Empire is still in like the 45 to 55 range. Mm-hmm. And you do definitely start to see like several of the Marine chapters like start to float upwards as well at this point. Mm-hmm. You still have a lot of have nots. Adeptus Mechanicus are like doing terrible at this point. <laughs> we, we just don't talk about what the Rusty Boys did after the very first day to sleep because they just fell off the face of the earth. <laughs> Astra Militarm at this point still haven't won an event in all of ninth. Yep. <laughs> just sad. <laughs> Yep, let's 40, let's right. <laughs> Man, oh the tides to change later, but there. Alrighty. Nephilim 1.1, I assume now. Yep. Chaos Demons drop. Um we're seeing and... the impacts here of WTC uh of the of the kind of the the, the best way to it, but basically the impact of WTC having been played out now with the Nephilim one patch teams kind of mm-hmm. figuring out what works really well there and well as seeing kind of the dominance of uh, Necrons, Tyranids, Sisters, Harlequin still being way up there. Uh, and now with this, it was what, September-ish? Yeah, this was early September through yeah. the end of October. Yeah, so that data slate came out. Uh, and what do we got on the top three? Harlequins <laughs> at 60% win rate, 2.67 over rep. Uh, 5% of players went 4-0, which is interesting. Slightly less than you'd expect. Remember, Jeremy let us know that 6.25% 6, 6. of players are expected to go 4-0. Um, 
They had two event wins and made it 3% of the player population. So things starting to dwindle a bit, but based on the comparative data, you can assume that one more skilled slash dedicated Harlequin players are probably sticking around. Mm-hmm. Slightly, yep. uh, slightly under 6% games played. Um, this is where we're starting to see overrepresentation. Like around right. the 3% point is where you start to see it. Right. Yeah. Um, Tyranids, very close behind it, a 59% win rate across 1,500 plus games played, a 1.72 overrep. 14% of players went 4 0 to start their five round or more events. They won 11 events and they made up 8% of the player population. So things basically stayed exactly the same for Tyranids at this point. Yep. Uh, and some of this is due to folks starting one to get better at the random other high fleets, which were running under 50% win rates for a minute. Uh, but folks also starting to adopt high fleet Leviathan as the go-to, yep. um, which is bringing yep. up the overall win rate. We got Leagues of Otan, our first new game. And third, with 74 games played. This is very early days for Leagues. Yeah. Um, <laughs> essentially, so few games played, it doesn't really matter because this is like somewhere between five and eight people. <laughs> but they have a 55% <laughs> win rate, 1.32 overwrap. 8% of their players went a 4-0 to start an event. None of them yeah, this was, of course... Back. With events that were basically only allowing the comb- uh, the the launch box, yes. Yep. So it was bikes, warriors, the call, and the uh, I'm here champ. Yeah, which is still very impressive. Uh, oh yeah, hundred percent. Like to play with a third of your codex and still manage that kind of a win rate speaks yeah. to the right. initial strength and the continued strength that we've seen in that uh, league's codex. I right. believe this is also the point at which we collectively release the "Oh my God, panic!" button posts about leaks, indicating we, we were quite uh, concerned when we saw that full thing. And you know, yeah. before we had the models, we were testing online. And we were like, "This seems problematic." Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like perhaps worse than release Harlequins problematic if it were allowed to go to game. Probably Probably they were definitely outputting damage like in. A realm all unto itself like the math on it was ridiculous ridiculous yeah uh, and then chaos we're also demon. seeing chaos demons up there yeah this is our first time where we're going to see like the perennial top five faction that is chaos yeah. demons for like the yeah. rest of the edition chaos demons actually had lots of games they had over a thousand games played uh 54 win rate they had 1.28 over up just over what we'd like to see for a balanced faction Five uh, percent of their players went four and zero to start their events. They won four events and they made up six percent of the player population. Yeah, demons uh, at launch were quite solid, pretty solid, and continued and continued to be solid uh, throughout the rest of Nephilim and up to now. All right. Yep. What we got next? Q three data slate drops. Man, I forget what was in this, but I believe it. <laughs> this was radically nerfed Tyranids. Is that true? Yeah, this was the Leviathan nerf. Uh, as well as a couple other things. But the biggest one, if I remember correctly, was removing the transhuman uh, impact of it. Yep. Specifically Uh, for warriors, which meant that they didn't even get baby transhuman. Oh, so tough. And here, just to quickly run through the uh, top four here, we had Harlequins. You'll notice a pattern. Harlequins at a 61% win rate, uh, over 670 games played, 2.14 over rep. 11% of players went 4-0 to start their events. Five events were won by Harlequins players, and they made up 3% of the player population. So again, in Nathan's earlier point, you're getting a little bit of overwrap inflation, uh, but it's also because the people that are still playing they're Harlequins are quite skilled. Yeah, they're quite good. Yeah, and players like Mike Porter sticking with them. Right. The other thing to, um, rem- to also talk about is like Harlequins had like this win rate in 
the eighth edition codex portion as well for like mm -hmm. the early, early ninth. Like this isn't outrageous for Harlequins at this point. Like we didn't track data before it. Harlequins definitely still broken. Yep. Don't even get me wrong. This was when we started to make jokes that they were nerfing Harlequins and that they were dead, but they were never dead, folks. Harlequins <laughs> were good basically since their book like portion of Craft World Eldar came out. Although we are starting to see them kind of like mix up a bunch of stuff into one another. So we're yeah, starting to see Twilight like, starts to see the two the a more balanced approach in terms of mm -hmm. player population. Yep. Yep. Chaos Demons had a 57% win rate, a 1.78 over rep. A 10% 10 of their players went 400 to start their events. They won seven events, which is the most events won by any faction during this uh, Nephilim 1.2 meta. And they made up 7% of the player base. And that is over 1,330 games. Pretty Which solid. Massive. That's a solid. huge number of players. Like, they are the second most common faction. They're tied with Tyranids, I think, at this point at 7%. Yeah, yeah. second only to CSM. Uh, yep. So this is also faction. when, um, because of Chaos Demons and the Bust of Thousand Suns, if you want to look at the Chaos category. Oh, boy. Where am I going to go for that? I don't think we have the super faction here on the deck. They may be hiding it here. Yeah, I'm probably hiding it. Oh, there we go. Hello. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Called it. <laughs> I knew that we were missing something here. Is this because if you will getting... notice, right down there. <laughs> oh, where is it? Where's that? It's the Where's cult of duplicity. Oh, God. Yeah. Right, <laughs> for, yeah, right there. <laughs> the Chaos Demons cult of duplicity combo. Outrageous. Um, yeah, this was not great. I ran into this my very first game at LVO, and I was like, oh, cool. I'm running Knights with a Castellan. Uh, I hope I make this work. I made that a tie, which was pat on the back. I think great for me. But, man, what a combination this was. Yeah. It was, uh, also, yeah, it, it was definitely an interesting combo to run into. Yeah. For those listening, this is nearly 1,300 games played. This uh, Cult of Duplicity, Thousand Suns, plus Chaos Demons, which really meant just running a ton of flamers. Um 59% win rate, 1.67 over rep. 11% of uh, players went 4-0 to start their events. It won seven events, and it made up 6% of the player population. It also and slotted into yeah. second place right above Chaos Demons. Real easy. Just a real yeah. easy slide in. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. And the reason that Cliff had that hidden is I think the next segment that we have is ARCs 1.1, or is it with the Guard Codex now? The next one is the Guard Codex dropping. Mm -hmm. And for those who are newer to competitive or weren't paying attention back in like November through January, November 2022 through January 2023, um, the Guard Codex was a really weird one because they had an early release uh, army box that had the codex mm -hmm. inside of it. But then they didn't have a full codex release until the end of January, if I remember correctly, yeah. uh, which meant that you saw limited adoption of the guard codex and limited adoption of the units in the guard codex that would make it extremely strong at first. You uh, didn't see them at LVO at all because they were using the old guard codex rules at that yeah. point. Yeah. Correct. Tons of TOs just said, no, thanks. Um, they did win their first GT, though, like GT sized event, though. They got their first GT win, yeah. which at, was at an event, I believe, that allowed all of their stuff to be played. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I remember during this timeline, uh, was this is when we went down to Mythicos, myself, Anthony, and Innes to play in the charity tournament for the uh, New Jersey mm -hmm. Foundation for the Blind, I think. I always yes. mess up the wording of that. Um, but uh, at that event, because it was a charity event and because it was, you know, 
meant to just bring in the community and have fun. Uh, they actually allowed either guard codex to be used. So if you wanted to use the new one, you could use the new one or you could use the old one, um, which led to some hilarity when you were at the table. I think there was one mirror that was played between the old and the new guard codex. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. Oh, that's great. Um, but yeah, uh, there, there was a very weird transitionary period where it was just like, which one are they running? And so I was often going through as I was checking lists, like, does it have this? Nope. Okay. So it has to be the old book. Yeah. Yeah. Is this um, also just um, friend of the show <laughs> winning a VO <laughs> at this point <laughs> for Astronomical Arms release? Uh, and winning the ITC season because yep. it's if you go down to Blood Angels, it's like a 2.17 over rep with only a three right there, 2.17 with just one GT win, basically. <laughs> Hilarious, that would be great. Uh, I don't know. Furthering the notion that Jack Harpster was absolutely just, flexing on people, he's just great, just yeah. phenomenal. Um. Rounding out just real quickly, this is also the first time you saw Leagues of Votan up at the top of the charts. Ignore Imperial Fist at six games played, but shout out to the dude that went like <laughs> round of six. You're the man. Especially <laughs> with that faction. Mm-hmm. Um, Leagues had a 57% win rate across 384 games played, a 1.26 over rep. 12% of their players went 4 0 to start events. They won four events and they made up 6% of the player population. Keep in mind, this is with significant on release nerfs which yep. I think only furthers the point that we were trying to make about like release leagues as is would have been absolutely bananas. It would have been a wild ride. Yeah. And while I don't think that like the crazy town of points hikes was necessarily like the most elegant solution uh, to bring leagues down to earth before they made it out into the wild. Um, something needed to happen. So I'm happy that they did. It something. was a simple solution. It also happened early enough on that most people didn't, like over by their or list. Yeah. yeah. Um, because those point drops happened before the hecatons, before the berserkers, before the combat mm-hmm. controls came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like, think I do remember long time Votan players though complaining that their faction <laughs> upon arrival. Yeah, they were it's like, at the top here. Mm-hmm. Rock and stone. Yeah. Um. But like for comparison, <laughs> my, my LVO list, I brought leagues to LVO. My LVO list gains yeah. an additional three bikes and a land fort without uh, sacrificing yeah. anything pre-point yeah. gut nerfs. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, this also furthered the notion that we were also trying to put out there that like, if you weren't taking a mirror, you were sort of trolling. Um, but Great Ethereum yeah. League was still very, still very good. was still quite good. Yeah. Um, Uthar makes that uh, faction real powerful, as yeah. well as the counting as additional tokens uh, makes just the general token generation a lot easier on you. Yeah. Um, not going to get into Harlequins and Tyranids and Chaos Demons being good, but they were basically the same. They were it's <laughs> still great somehow. Still great. This is this is though when you look at the distribution of win rates, like this is actually my favorite because you have like a few have-nots, a few haves, and then just the vast majority in our balance in like the yeah. balance range. Yeah, a lot of neutral gray, which, which is, is a great which is a really good sign. Mm-hmm. And most of the factions above fifty percent are under sixty, which is mm-hmm. great. Like mm-hmm. that's hidden a little bit by some subfaction data, which is just bound to happen. But like the and all the factions that are under at this point, for the most part, are just marine subfactions. Sorry, marines, I don't care that much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor marines! They really took it on the chin on the back mm-hmm. end. Here. 
for the moment. For what the we moment. got next? <laughs> uh, we can sort of ignore it. I'll just quickly select it. The uh, Munitorum Field Manual update along with the Astra Militarum update. A couple of events did this. It's not <laughs> That's like, not real. Let's just move on. Not real. <laughs> We're just going to skip this not uh, real Just for people who come across <laughs> it in the meta when they're looking at the filter, don't think that that's a real thing. And that brings us to arcs. Oh, my sweet oh, baby. Man. Oh, arcs. How you oh, discombobulated arcs. our entire existence real fast. Yeah. This was the biggest turnover we saw, I think, in top factions. Yes. Yeah, things got because real weird fast. One of the big things that happened with arcs was we got points we got a data slate and we got a completely reworked mission pack mm -hmm. where they again pulled the levers on everything yep. uh, to try to bring up struggling factions and to try to bring down the factions that were doing considerably too well for too long. Um, so we saw major adjustments to Tyranids, to Harlequins, to Space Marines, minor adjustments to Necrons, uh, minor adjustments to Sisters of Battle. Uh, AOC went away entirely, Completely, yeah. uh, which was uh, a little bit of a, I don't know. The, the, the AOC experiment was kind of fun. It was interesting. Um, gutting it entirely. I, time will tell whether it was the right decision. Um, mm -hmm. it's actually but at the same time, when you look at what's at the top, I think it was best that Space Marines didn't keep Arbor of Contempt. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's definitely best that when making all war gear cost zero points that they didn't also keep armor of contempt. I actually thought armor of contempt was like the most nuanced balance decision GW yeah, made. They like could have made edition. some minor tweaks to it, like it not working on terminators or it not stacking sure. with cover and other modifiers. Yep. Cause that, that was one of the things that yep. made thousand sun, uh, scarab occult terminators. So frustrating to kill yeah, they was tough. they had, they would usually be sitting in cover. They would get AOC. And then if they got damage reduction or you're hitting with damage one, they effectively had plus three to their saves. You had him with AP four for them to take a, a not armor save. Yeah. I think this is also, we've, you know, we've seen it before how overall faction data can sometimes mask the overt overperformance of sub factions within a given faction well look um, at iron hands they're at the top right now their win here. rate is what 60 something percent they're 59 percent. and if we go down to the master artisans whirlwind of rage um combo we're at a 67 percent win rate over 408 games played but only 24 percent of players were picking up on that combo most of them were playing pure iron hands which had something like a 50 54 percent win rate snowflakes uh, Snowflaking. Snow I, I like how, snow I like how the snowflakes are the ones playing the actual chapter here. <laughs> yep. Look, it's just <laughs> this is the same problem I have with a lot of like balance situations in 40k, is especially in arcs. In arcs specifically, this gets real bad because yeah. Iron Hands secretly have a nearly 70% win rate with Master Artisans right. for all of arcs and kind of get missed, I think, because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think to the to the extent that GW is interested in faction balance, they don't yet seem either they haven't yet demonstrated that they're either looking at actively or interested in in adjusting balance levers for those sub factions. Uh, and maybe I don't know. Maybe there's sort of like a player I population with that actually at. because we saw them address light, we Leviathan. saw them address Leviathan, we saw them right. address even Kraken later on, where it was right. just like they made the changes that they finally recognized needed to be made back in Nephilim. But then it almost struck me like the arcs mission points and um, data slates were written by a different team. 
Mm, Because it felt very different because it was a very aggressive change as opposed to the incremental tweaks and adjustments and like knob twists as opposed to flicking a switch off. Um, yeah. that arcs felt like because if you looked at Nakamon and nephilim it was yeah we had some armies that were d- doing disproportionately well but then they would trend yeah. downwards a little bit as you go through one two three balance data slates uh, and then this one is throw everything out remove armor of contempt remove most of the daily balance data slate readjust it on everything else mm-hmm. um, new missions new secondary adjustments new structure for like building your armies like Completely like throwing every lever. Yeah. Now the army construction changes now make sense in context. We had talked Mm -hmm. about this when we first saw them, that it seemed like this was foretelling of something bigger. And now that we've seen um, the, the previews on GW where that were like army building is quite literally choose a character. And then anything else in your army goes, as long as you don't take any more than three of any other data sheet or six of battle line. Mm -hmm. Um, Arcs was very much a, still within the detachment system that we come to know for ninth edition, but it was much 100% freer. Yeah, definitely sort of a purposeful transition for, for us to get ready as we go into. Yeah, so in, in context, it made sense. Uh, the everything else did feel like it was a, a different writing team or a different balance team, yeah. or that that same balance team had been given new direction to address things. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I have had those days that were Go for it. You do your hot. No, take. no, I have a hot take, but I'm gonna wait to. I'll deliver it okay. in the Discord later. You're gonna have to join if you want to hear it. Anybody listening? <laughs> I love that. That's the hook. If you want to hear Cliff's hot hot take, you need to join our Patreon Discord to do it. <laughs> Which actually, after I say this, will take two seconds to do the plugs, and then we'll return with some more Arcs of Omen stuff. Great call. Because we're yeah, getting into great. more modern data at this point, yep. which might yep. be a little less interesting. Yep. My hot take is that. Iron Hands are a sub-faction, and we're talking about a sub-sub-faction at this point. Mm-hmm. And so I there think is... it's actually, to GW's credit, a lot harder to probably mine some of that out. And True. when That's we're true. talking about GT-level data, we're also talking about an ever-decreasing amount of data. And we're talking about, like, probably a fairly small number of players, like in the grand scheme of things, affecting yeah. GT balance at the sub-sub-faction level. That's actually a really good point, Um, because one of the things that we know, the show is focused on competitive play. So we're always, always going to just be talking about GT play. But the reality is, and you can just need to go to Goonhammer's uh, customer survey uh, or whatever, their, their, their reader survey from, I think it was last year, where they broke down how many people play how many games in a given time. Mm-hmm. And your average competitive player makes up something like three to five percent if i remember of the of the player base so you just think about that and it's just like okay so i go to a tournament a month i'm in this like one percent of the players i am the one we we did that right (laughs) we looked at the number of unique first time gt players and that is most of gt players like most gt players only go to one gt and then like two is like a slight drop off, but after two GTs, you see just like massive drop offs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But to that point, that's just GTs. That doesn't cover RTTs. That right. doesn't mm-hmm. cover your casual 40k nights. That doesn't cover like it's one of these things where at my game store we hold an RTT a month. We were doing two yeah. RTTs a month at the peak, but then we started to burn out a little bit. So we do an RTT a month and a GT every three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's plenty of other opportunities elsewhere. But every single Thursday night. At my game store, you would find anywhere from 18 to 20 people playing games. 
and that's none a of those very games healthy community. None of those games are are being tracked. Um, some of them may be using uh, Goonhammer's uh, Tabletop Battles app, mm-hmm. or I think that's which honestly called. people should use it because it's great for the. It is an amazing application. That. I am looking forward to seeing what they do with it with t- in tenth edition. Um, but yeah, like that whole side of things is just like that isn't largely tracked. And we've we've had glimpses into the Tabletop Battles app data through our work with Goonhammer, uh, and it does open up this kind of wonder of where is the greater picture and where does it really matter? So like we mm-hmm. often focus on GT level balance. Mm-hmm. But when there are, you know, 10 times as many players playing casual games, where does that balance lie? Right. Yeah. And Even within like, our data set, most iron, like the iron, the typical Iron Hands player that you're likely to encounter is running bog standard Iron, yep. iron Hands. So. All right, plugs. All right. If you have watched two hours of stats, as 35 of you apparently have watched <laughs> us go from like 10th edition ramblings to basically covering that most of 9th edition and its various metas, you probably like listening to us talk. Um, so you should go to www.patreon.com slash stat check and take a look at it. And if you can drop us $5 a month. You get access to our Patreon discord and events. We run, we ran our first basically major size TTS event for 40 K and uh, Sam lemon is getting a trophy from, because he won that event. Let's go. Um, Sam. Uh, so he's going to get a trophy that will be massive actually is what I'm going to call it. <laughs> um, and I have to give it to another Australian, like another person at, WTC to bring it to him rather than paying exorbitant shipping costs. So it's going to be funny. This this trophy is going to travel the world from the United States to Europe to to Oz. You should get as many of the stat checkers that are at the WTC to sign that trophy. We're going to do it. Um, Hell yeah! It, it is for record saying that yeah. If you don't subscribe, you make Nathan no, sad. Well, why do you want to make Nathan sad? Um. <laughs> It is also the easiest way to slide into my DMs, apparently, as I will get pings from people at all times from this. <laughs> um, if you can't or don't want to give us money through Patreon, which is fine, like you don't have to, um, please drop a like or a subscription to our channel if you've enjoyed our content. Or even more importantly, and the thing that I've been suggesting is that if you could just tell a friend to watch our show. Um I think that is really cool. And like the best way to learn about podcasts and to enjoy them is via word of mouth. That's how I've learned about the vast majority of the podcasts that I've listened to over time. I don't just randomly stumble on podcasts very frequently on the internet and enjoy them. That's not how my life works. Randomly Spotify's algorithm has managed to give me like one or two suggestions that have been great, which is cool. Um, Other than that, uh, go listen to our other shows. Cliff is here from X and One, which is some of my favorite 40K content. Um, as an extremely bu- busy professional, although no kids other than a bunch of Discord people who are like my children at this point. And <laughs> angry and chaotic as children. And I have definitely had to give some of them the look recently in our chat on Discord, and they have stopped. Um. Also, Typhus, who is not usually on our main show, although has been a couple of times, does Enter the Matrix, which is probably the best competitive 40k content on the planet at this point, um, which focuses on team play exclusively, but you can still get a lot out of it, even as a singles player, I think, and you can learn Mm -hmm. a lot 
about the very dynamic and best way to play 40k, which is team 40k. Yep. Yep. Worth noting that team play is usually where all the cool stuff that makes its way out to individual events starts. Um, mm-hmm. So that's absolutely a place. That's that's definitely a series you want to hit up if you're interested in improving your approach. To the I game, think even if you're an individual player for 10th edition after WTC happens, you're going to see tons of list innovation. I think come no, via 100%. that pipeline. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens afterwards. Also, if you like WTC content, I will be at the WTC running coverage alongside Contact Lost. I am going to go work and run around a floor. Somebody sent me a floor map for the hangar, and I'm like, I'm going to get so many steps in. Um, (laughs) Nathan is finally understanding how I walked 40 miles that week. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I'm going to have to do that a lot. Uh, I will be your stats correspondent for the weekend. Um, I'm going to play at War Masters, but maybe I'll do, I don't know what will happen, but we're going to have a lot of fun. It'll be a great time. If you have any suggestions or things that you would want to see from watching stats coverage of the WTC, please drop those suggestions to me or join our Patreon and you can badger me with the number of stats that you'd want it all the time. And I love that contact loss is in here because one of them yeah. have a side chat with the people from contact loss. Yes. Steps check. That's uh-huh. be, that will be a, a small thing that will go up <laughs> across the bottom of the screen during WTC that it will say step check. Yeah. Um, and I think contact loss was the most amusing part because I'm in a back chat planning something with them. And uh, one of them fangirled about me being in it. And that was amazing. <laughs> and I love them so dearly for it. Yes, Chris. Uh, Chris maybe if, you can be uh, Nathan's Joker moment at, w- at War Masters. Chris, if you want to try to grudge me at War Masters, that's fine. I accept. Ooh. I accept grudgings. Bring it. Use some of that sweet <laughs> Patreon money to purchase Nathan some roller skates. We'll make that the, we'll change the title of Anthony's tier just for WTC. How to make Nathan not die by walking at WTC. Yeah. We can just get you, we can get you some Heelys. Yeah. Oh man, that definitely won't make me look really old. <laughs> watching watching a nearly 40-year-old man do Heelys, wearing Heelys. Let's stretch like we're going full retro. We'll slap some lights on him too. So it'll be great. <laughs> Hell yeah. So now that I've managed to get completely lost on my way to the end of the plugs, we're going to insert an ad here at this point. And we're going to pause for like five minutes um, so that we can get water perhaps. Or maybe we won't pause. We're probably not going to pause. Yeah, let's just go straight through it. Let's straight into the show questions. All right, back back to the back to the thing because we still have questions to answer. And we've almost got right. two hours on this episode. We're doing it. We're doing it. Okay. Back this back to the green chair. Before we go any further, though, I just love this line from Chris in our uh, YouTube chat, which is just <laughs> roller skates. Come on, can't catch feelies in these heelys. Thank you, Chris. I love it. And yet, Chris will not be wearing heelys. I am very disappointed in him. Mm-hmm. It's not too late, I guess. It's not get too late. We are going to do questions still. We're going to start with our super chats. If you do super chats, you will get your question answered, guaranteed. Yeah. As will the people who answer questions in our Patreon Discord question thread. And we'll be looking through the YouTube comment history to make sure we don't miss anything that any of We'll try to. I'm not making it. We can never guarantee that that if it's outside the Discord and outside of Super Chat that we will get to it, but we definitely try. And if you don't ask it in the right place in Discord, I'm not answering your question. And I'm just going to look at Cultist Chan. It's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. Uh, This is where we are now. Q2 data slate for Arcs of Omen. Mm-hmm. We call it Arcs of Omen 1.1. 1. 1. 
Um, this is the end of 10th or end of 9th. <laughs> and there's really only two factions standing alone uh, above that Goldilocks zone, quote unquote. Jeremy, I know you hate that term. Um, I also don't like it, but I'm going to use it anyway. I love it. Gene Sealer Cult with 411 games played so far. This 61% win rate, 1.35 over it. 13% of their players have gone 4-0 to start their events. They've won three events, and they make up 2% of the player population. Yeah, it's just, um, that, it's just that dozen or so people who are faction experts at this point yeah, playing that faction exactly. to exceptional levels. Yeah, exactly. Shout out um, once again hands, to... Oh. I was just going to say shout out once again to Eric Lathuris over at Alien Majesty for continuing to innovate even after the mild nerfs that they received <laughs> in the latest daily slate. Oh, yeah. The other thing we need to cover real quick is in the QT data slate, we saw like Dark Angels catch a heavy nerf. They lost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they lost transhuman. <laughs> they on took their Terminators up back and circle. shot them. Good. Yeah. Right. I mean, based on the fact that was it somebody still took massive amounts of Dark Angels, though, in one events with them. It's not like they went away completely at this point. Although, yeah, Manny switched to Manny and a couple other people switched to running successors where you ran mini transhuman and whirlwind of rage. Because mm -hmm. um, it turns out that they were still really good when you gave them minus one damage and a six up feeling pain. Yeah. And I guess they hadn't won an event at this point, but they did really well at those events. That's what happened. Uh, and then Iron Hands uh, with 735 games played at a 57% win rate, a 2.02 over rep. 11% of their players went 4 0 to start their events. They won five events and made up 4% of the player population. And we've still got that same dichotomy between the overall faction results. Um, so it's starting to narrow. Starting they're, they're starting to figure it out. They actually now outnumber the regular Iron Hand regular. players, right? Maybe yelling about it every week on this on this podcast has finally Maybe it helps people. I mean, Ennis <laughs> going and winning Warhammer Fest, the largest tournament since LVO, uh, does help that matter. Also true. Shout out to Winnis, our winningest host. <laughs> he is actually. And at the bottom of this, they finally did kill Tyranids. I think it was actually previously in the previous part of ARCs, but you do see Tyranids finally dead at this point. Yeah, look at their win distribution. They still have two event wins, though. They've got two that's event not wins. A, that's not a good win distribution. That is, now left, that is now a left distribution. It's not better. <laughs> don't, don't do that. We still can see that distribution shift in. Harlequins also are finally in the Goldilocks zone in arcs at this point, apparently giving them a five up invulnerable save, like minus one of their invulnerable saves on all their units. Yeah. Yes is enough yeah. like to take the faction below. It still 55%. didn't kill them. It still didn't kill them. Nothing can kill the Harlequin. Yeah. And if you look at Astriani up at the top, you'll see yeah. that they're still souping in Harlequins on a regular basis because there's usually a light twilight or dark patrol in the, there as allies. The only thing that's killing the pure Harlequin army is the fact that there will be no more pure Harlequin armies anymore since it's all yeah. just what? In the, in the, in the, like, Eldari index? Like, it's just an Eldari index. Yeah. Although, being able to use Strands of Fate on Harlequins might prove to be really good. That's Oof. true. I guess we can't discount it. And maybe when they get a book again, we'll see a Harlequin's detachment rule or something like that. Nobody knows. Yep. I mean, we don't the, know. Only th the only thing that made me sad, though, was seeing um, the Facebook Warcoms communication. I think that there was going to be no Harlequin's preview because there was going to be no Harlequin's book. That did make me a little depressed as a Harlequin's That was a little fan. sad. All right. So this is where it takes us to today. Uh, this is probably like we'll still do weekly stat recaps, but I expect over the next few weeks as more information about 10th comes out and as the first early 10th events start happening, uh, we will 
shift our focus and we will stop looking at ninth data. I want to stop looking at it now, to be honest. This is true. <laughs> All right. So let's go to show questions. Uh, we will start with the um, we'll start with super the super chats. chats. Um, so that one guy, we've already thanked him for the $20 sub. He did not ask a question with that. Uh, Dan Morris with 20 Canadian dollars. Uh, knowing that nobody is really playing, turns out a lot of people are still playing. Uh, what is your favorite paint? Oh. This stuff. Oh, yeah. Dirty Downs, Rust, Verdigree, and Moss effects are magical. Any of those three. Uh, the Verdigree probably looks the coolest in terms of the effect. Uh, but the rust and moss effects are the most convincing. The rust is incredible. Like if you don't have it, go get some. I, it's it's yeah. pricey, but it's worth it for the, for what it what you get out of it. All right, Nathan, you. I think the biggest upgrade to my paints have been including enamel paints as of late mm. in my stuff and painting in a more grimdark style. So like all of the rust, all the the dirt paints are great at this point. I love all those streaking grimes and grime paints at this point. Those are all amazing paints. Uh, got two. They're both contrast paints because you guys just shouted out two things that I'm already a fan of. Um, Blush Terror's red is an incredible red. Mm -hmm. like if you don't have that and you want to do like a deep sort of carnelian red, it goes well over base red coats and it goes well over the general the like slap chop technique, uh, baseline contrast uh, primer. Like it's just great. Looks great. Um, I will say contrast paints are just amazing broadly and like all contrast really paints are great. And so versatile, which is which being the other one, uh, ethermatic blue mm -hmm. is like amazing through an airbrush for like a plasma glow. Oh yeah. Um, just I definitely color. don't have a whole Tyranid army with uh ethermatic blue contrast sprayed on sprayed on all their vents. I definitely don't. Not nothing wrong <laughs> with me. All right. Uh Daniel Paolini five dollars since when did jeremy go from must listen to much watch thank you daniel <laughs> also not a question but words. we accept it <laughs> i mean it did say since when uh, uh fair all right uh martin with, uh, jeremy would you rather i change my name in bcp every event or all events use pun pun i would rather you change your event your name in every event than everyone use pun pun because pun pun is the most difficult uh event page to pull information from it feels like pulling teeth. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Blackburn, we already talked about him, but he he gave us $22 and uh, said the Harlequins are fair and balanced. Okay. And no, they were not at that moment when we were talking about them. <laughs> they were out uh, they were Tim, I'm not reading points. your attempt at uh, at money laundering. <laughs> or there's two of them. Two I attempts know. at money laundering. <laughs> Bad money laundering at that. Bad money laundering. So much yeah. love. Uh, and then John, Cliff and Jeremy, what's your favorite way to make Nathan embarrassed? Uh, well, I, I think I found hit on the nail on it earlier when I called him a cradle robber. <laughs> you just, why would you do this? Oh, God. My wife is younger than me. It's true. My wife is substantially younger than me. That just knocked me off line. It's <laughs> funny because my wife was here and I was putting in her birth date for like buying a plane ticket so that we could go back to minnesota and all i hear as i'm talking to her making sure i get it all correct because i don't want to fuck anything up um, and um is is jeremy hearing that she's uh seven years younger than me <laughs> <laughs> and going you cradle robber in the back <laughs> <Jeez>. uh, 
Uh, also, being nice to me is the easiest way to make me embarrassed, actually. As John as, knows. As, as John well. should know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an answer to that question, but I do have a story. I used to be the principal of a middle school in Brooklyn. And one time I brought my girlfriend at the time, now wife, mother of my two children, uh, to come check it out for the day. And so I used to shake all the kids' hands coming in. Uh, and one of my students, who I love dearly, came in and was just like, Mr. Thomas, is that your daughter? That was like, no. <laughs> and she immediately pivots to, is that your girlfriend? And I was like, wait, <laughs> how can these two be in the same age range? What's happening? God. Is your wife, in fact, younger than you, Cliff? No, we're like, by like five months. We're, we're both. She turns 40 and a month and a bit. And I'm already 40. I, I love it. That's great. But she, she does. I mean, she looks like she's, you know, 25 or something. All righty. Let's, uh, let's yeah. power through some Discord questions. And that is oh, very God. funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dakota H asks, would it be of interest to create a historic... I'm not going to try that because I keep stumbling over it. Uh, a history of competitive lists and events across and within editions of 40K uh, would show how the competitive scene evolved over time, as well as list refactions, allowing for comparisons with the past. Uh, would this be something that StatCheck would be interested in pursuing? I think the best way to look at that would actually be mm. these competitive innovations or to look at like LVO recap articles. Yeah. Because yeah. that way you'll have basically those timestamps. It's not like frequent, but like once a year where it's like, this was really good. Like guard was really good here. CSM was really good here. Um, mm -hmm. Grey Knights were busted in fifth, that kind of thing. Because events like that that have a really long history will usually be the ones that showcase that, that meta breaking moment. Um, maybe we'll do that at some point. Right now, we're swamped with keeping up with regular stats. So maybe as a feature, once we gain some bandwidth, uh, we could do that. Uh, John asks, what do you th all think of the GSC reveal? Asking, asking this preemptively before the post. Uh, go back about an hour and a half, and we'll yeah. talk about the GSC uh, preview there. Uh, we like it. Okay. Yeah, we like it. It's Well, <laughs> it looks very oh. strong and could be probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is not the it word looks, I've used. It does look fun. It looks fun as hell. Yeah. Uh, JS asks, hey, all, I'm wondering what, how someone from southwestern Ontario would get more into the competitive scene. I've gone to oh. a bunch of RTT and 1GT, the Stutter Snotling, and I want to try for 10th to get more competitive. So um, because we are over two hours into this episode, I'm not going to give <laughs> as detailed an answer as I wanted to. But the reality is, is that there is a huge competitive community in both um, upstate New York, as well as in southern Ontario and in eastern Ontario. Uh, you may have to drive a little bit. Uh, here in Ottawa, we have, as I mentioned, uh, usually about five or six major sized events. Uh, so 50 or more players, five, six rounds every single year. Um, there are, we have monthly RTTs out of my store, uh, but there are a few other locations and stores that do the same thing in southwestern Ontario. And Nathan has a point as well. Is that, Are they included in Goonhammer's new circuit? Yes, Ottawa. they are. So one of the things that I would recommend you look at uh, is the UTC, which is the Unified Tournament Circuit. We've talked about it a little bit on this show. Uh, it's Goonhammer's new Northeastern and Eastern Canada um, circuit. Uh, and it lists all of, if you go to utc.goonhammer.com, you can see the event list. It'll show upcoming events that are listed under there. Um, I've got to add about six or seven events for the local in the next little while once we know when 10th is coming out. Um, but that's a really good resource for looking locally because that's there. Um, and as always, there's BCP where you can just do regional searches. Um, but 
DM me or ping me in the in the stat check discord and I will also give you the list of names of people to reach out to who are organizers within the community you have Dustin Henshaw who does the the starter scrub podcast uh, you have Lionel um, Miranda who is at 10th or X planet depending on who I want to piss off um, who runs I think monthly events now they just had a four round event this past weekend um, uh, and they run they they some of the most competitive people in southern Ontario attend those events. Uh, so you definitely will have plenty of opportunities. It's just a question of how far you want to drive. Yep. Uh, Tom H. asked which one of y'all will do a man reads book video for us. If I had a book, maybe we could do that. I, if somebody wants to like, if I figure out a way to get a book and get time, <laughs> like I'll read it in my PhD regalia for you. I'll just, yes. I'll do it. I'll wear the full purple robes. I've got them in my closet. <laughs> All right. Tell you what, <laughs> when we get the Jukari index, that's what you'll do. I'll do it. I will read it in full PhD regalia. It Love will it. be Dr. Statsdad does books. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, John, the V8 gang asks, if games of 10th are truly faster once we get comfy with it, do you see competitive rounds getting shorter? If so, does this mean shorter days in a two, three day event, round event or fitting four or five rounds in a day? Probably. Because um, realistically, like right now, one of the biggest limitations on event size and events um coming up with single undefeateds because we have a lot of events that like have like three or four undefeateds at the end of an event is you know once you pass 100 players you have to have seven rounds to come up or once you pass 64 players you have to have seven rounds to have a single undefeated yeah. um and so being able to squish like four and three without having to go to a three-day format would be nice at the same time there's also something about just keeping it relaxed like <laughs> giving that extra time so games all come to their natural conclusions well, I don't know if if Dev Wounds remains as prevalent as they might be fast games. Reviews they'll be quick. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, I, I it'll be very interesting to see the stats on uh, something that we don't really track is how quickly games complete. But that's something that's really hard to figure out. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. We, short of adding a timer to some kind of tracking thing. I well, because BCP has a timer that. built in, so if BCP were yeah. to like be like, here's when this score was submitted for a game, and that's the game. Those are not going to be very accurate. No, but Sometimes. large enough numbers becomes who knows. Sure. Anyways, uh, Preston, uh, piggybacking off of John, if you played competitive in seventh and were there for the transition to eighth, do you recall the game speed difference in index and how much it slowed with codex releases? Do you anticipate a similar drastic change in game state from index to unsettled to settled codex? Hammer? I was not around during the transition from seventh to eighth. I came I back either. into the competitive scene midway through eighth. Yeah, I came back at the end of eighth. Or I came into 40K really at the end of 8th. Yeah. I don't think any of us were really that active at that time period. Um, Father Innes. Yeah, this is a, this is a yeah, question for Innes. You should ping him to add, to get him a question, an answer on this. Uh, yeah, if you D. add him at an event, he will definitely answer <laughs> for you. <laughs> All right, Nikki D from, uh, from Frontline Gaming's uh, only show now? Signals from the front line. Uh, inspired by Anthony's stated concert envy, but a question for everyone. What's your standard operating procedures when at a concert? Are you up front in the pit, hanging in the back? I'm too old for the pit now. When yeah. I was young, was, you asked me when this I was, question 15 years ago and I'm in the pit. It was the pit. Yeah. Now the I'm up back with like a beer in my hand and just sitting down and enjoying a nice comfy chair while the music plays. Yeah. I get it's a chair on show. Also right. that, yeah. Also true. I've been to like danger concerts that are randomly like at some sidebar and there's like 40 people there and you're like, yep, I'm dead in the front. This is amazing. Yep. <laughs> um, 
And then he like he'll open for some crazy electronic music artist. There's like ten thousand people there, and I'm gonna sit down at a, in a chair in the back for that. One. I will yeah. stand at the front because my wife likes going to concerts, like with my wife at those. But gone are the days of me in the pit at a Power Man five thousand concert. Sorry, <laughs> like. Th those were definitely the days of going home, having caught like at least an elbow or two during a cool. during a concert, more than more than two. Also, my hearing is not too good anymore after those days either. <laughs> that would do it. Mm -hmm. All right, now we've got a series of questions from Ethan, um, and I actually do have quick answers for these because I I pulled them because I really liked the set of questions. Uh, which factions had the best and worst boost after their codex dropped? Uh, mm. That one is actually a real easy and not too surprising one. Um, Harlequins. Yeah. Uh, the average weeks leading up to the Harlequin book coming out, they had a 55% win rate. And then the weeks following that, they had, the average is 76%, as we highlighted earlier in the uh, the early Nakmund meta. Uh, second to them is Asriani, who went from a 40% average win rate to a 58% average win rate uh, peak, which was a few weeks after Harlequins started to taper off a little bit, because that's when people transitioned to Harlequin, to Asriani. The only thing comparable was Necron's win rate after their buffs dropped in Nephilim. Yes, right? but that was not a codex buff. I know. I was just saying. But yes, Ooh. Necrons were, and we, we showed that where they went from like the fourth from the bottom to the fourth from the top. Yeah. Um, the army that saw the least improvement was actually Chaos Knights, where they went from a 48% win rate to a 51% win rate. Um, and then, of course, notable mention is World Eaters. I had to actually jump around with that's a fair bit to get this to work because World Eaters went from being in CSM to being their own codex. Uh, but they saw a 17% increase um, from before the codex to after the codex. So from a 40% win rate to a 57% win rate. Yep. Um, and I guess we could say that technically Leagues of Oten had the biggest buff from pre-codex to post because they had a 0% win rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Some of these questions are hard to answer to looking at them. Yeah, they, 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 these ones gave me a thing. Uh, according to trends, when did Codex creep start or was it always happening? From what I saw, at least in terms of it, there was a fair amount of fluctuation because I'm actually looking at like from when we started tracking, looking at like Codex impacts. And it very mm -hmm. much was a like some Codexes had huge impacts, some had minor impacts, some had bigger impacts. Like mm -hmm. Tau was a 12% boost. Uh, Tyranids was a 13% boost, but that's because they went from 56% to 69%. They were already doing really well. And um in the uh, grand scheme of thing it wasn't that many books that like really shook the meta to its core it was drukari before we started tracking data right yeah, um and then admech orcs orcs was like definitely a problem was so it's yeah. like three so and then harlequins with the craft world eldar book yeah um, yeah because the big thing with tyranids is they yeah, had the Leviathan yeah. Supplement and Crusher Stampede Army of Renown that they were able to play with right up to the when their codex dropped. And those were ninth edition written rules in those cases. Mm -hmm. uh, and those had pretty big impacts. Yeah. Um, and then like you could say Custodes, but Custodes was in part just because they dropped buffs immediately after like that happened. Yeah. Like it, with was, it was definitely a combination there. Buffs. And Tau but not to the same effect as other factions. Yeah. Uh, third, which competitive season was the most balanced? I think we can say Nephilim was. Nephilim. And you can see it if you go back and look at the trends data on the dashboard, the trends yeah. tab, you can visually see the... It collapsing down, and then with arcs, it kind of blowing back open again. 
Um, and then Arcs 2.0 kind of bringing it back down again. But um, and then which one did you personally enjoy the most? Uh, that's a tough we... one. I had my best result in Nephilim, yeah. but I had a lot of fun in Nakmund running my Ravenwing because Nef Nephilim made running the Ravenwing a lot more difficult um, with the changes to army rules and the like. Um, but I think Nephilim was probably the most fun. I think, so yeah. too. I think late um, Nephilim is where it was at. Yeah, like there were definitely some balance issues, but I had like from an army and opponents perspective in terms of what I was what I got used to playing late Nephilim was a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. Yep. Agreed. Um, I agree. Arcs was wild, but <laughs> wild isn't necessarily always a good thing. Right. I think uh, Arcs has settled into a good spot now. Yeah. Like definitely a much better spot than it was initially at release. I mean, it has problems, but and it's like I think with another if they continued ninth edition with one more balance patch, I think not arcs would replace late Nephilim in my book is the most balanced. And most yeah, I'd agree. Play. So because they, they continue to take the let at least from my perception, they continue to take the lessons that they have learned over the last few years since they started doing balance data slates and applying those mm -hmm. to that. That's why mm -hmm. I am sure that 10th at launch is going to be wild. But after a oh. data slate or two, it'll t it'll tone itself down because mm -hmm. they'll yeah. again figure out the like it's it's always a matter of when you introduce new mechanics or change how the game works you gotta you can't always foresee <laughs> what competitive players are going to come up with mm -hmm. uh all right uh what lessons have you learned from a year of year over a year of data collection running the dashboard and creating content surrounding it uh from my perspective i've learned one, I hate players who don't declare their faction properly. I hate players who take <laughs> pictures of their lists. But those players are fewer and fewer these days. So it seems like someone's listening to me. Um, and then the other thing that I've learned is um, when I first started doing it, I was always obsessed with getting it done like that weekend. Um, I've allowed myself a lot more flexibility when it done because it, there's nothing critical about getting it done right away. So I've given the myself week. a lot more leeway in doing it because it's just like week to week. It doesn't matter as much as looking at the longer snapshots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think people get obsessed with week to week data, but like it's interesting to talk about it in like a maybe there are some emerging trends kind of information. Like, mm -hmm. is there anything we should keep an eye on in the next few weeks from this week to week data? But outside of like a few things. I think the biggest lesson is that week to week data is very not important. Also, that win rate is a is a weak statistic, but that's neither here nor there. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. yeah. At a different I think, I think I the thing that I found, which I sort of expected, but it was like good to have it confirmed, is that like um there's like a great community of people who are really interested in data and like performance-based analysis uh for factions in like a really deep way. Uh, we've got a bunch of those people in our Discord community, and it's great. It's great that we have this like open dialogue with the folks that are um, in our community and engaging with the content and talking about our data because uh, it helps us make our data analysis and the dashboard better. Like the dashboard now looks very different than it did at the very beginning. And then, like the data that we track is a little bit different than it did in the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's all due to like great open feedback about what what it actually be useful to people. So yeah, cool. definitely. Um, and then on a personal level, what was the biggest lesson you learned about competitively playing 40k this edition? And this is some of the things because this was very much my coming out edition in terms of mm. finally starting to regularly podium at events. Um, and it's one of these things where I've also come very much to the terms with the being okay when a game goes south. 
because uh, I used to get really stressed, really tense, really up in my head when a game would start to go poorly. And I would, you know, especially if I was like three and hour or four and hour an event, I'd be like, oh, okay, so this is where the run ends. Now it's just like, hey, eh, just a game. It's fun. Having fun with my, with, with people. Uh, there's less of that. Um, and I think a large part of that is I just put less pressure on myself to do well. Yeah, that's that, That's what I've learned over the last two years of ninth. The biggest lesson for me was that finding like a good community is like the most important thing to being a competitive 40k player. And like, I've been very fortunate that I have my stat check, like podcast network folks, which is like the group of competitive 40k people that I spend like the most time with essentially like me. I talk the most to Jeremy, Cliff, Innes, Anthony, Tim, and Typhus. Like of all the people that I talk about 40K with, I talk about them the most and they have had the most influence on me as a player. And that was the lesson that I learned the fastest that having that is like the most valuable tool you can have. The Discord is also great, but I spend way more time with these folks than I do with <laughs> <my> folks. <laughs> Sorry, uh -huh. folks. I, I thought I thought that I would care uh, less. So in my uh, in other competitive arenas in my life, I've cared very deeply about like not losing, but being totally okay with getting beat. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, like I hate I hate messing up and being like, oh, done that differently. It would not it, it would not have gone this way. Um, and I thought that that would not be the case with 40k, and I thought I'd be a little bit more chill about that part of it. But I'm not, and I'm actually okay with that. Um, uh, because I also recognize that 40k, just like any other competitive thing, is like has so many levels of skill and expertise to it. Um, and just being able to see like how good some people are at this game. Um, oh, definitely. It's just like I don't know. You you run into those folks who are like, oh yeah, I got beat, and you like feel great coming out of it because you learned something, and you know, just got to be got to see someone be great at something, which is always really cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're gonna blitz through a few. We're gonna skip over a couple questions. Um, but uh, I'm going to answer this one real quick for for Will. What does the fall off for GT attendance look like? It hasn't happened yet. Um, like this weekend, we had 920 players, which was the busiest weekend since. We actually I think talked about it earlier. Fest. Yeah, we yeah talked go about watch the first like 30 minutes of the episode yeah. and you'll hear us. Uh, That's a giant team event. Like, yeah. yeah, 320 person team event that we didn't cover because it was <laughs> a team event. <laughs> Shout so, out like, to there me. were like 1,200 people playing 40K at a GT plus level this weekend. Yeah. Um, and shout out to Ignite for taking that down. And I believe the first time ever Team England not winning a team event in England. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. If you go to multiple GTs, I mean, how many are you are... likely to attend? Go ahead. Two or one. Two. It's two. Yeah, it's two. Two is the most likely number of multiple GTs you're going to go to. It's two. <laughs> oh, uh, he doesn't mean GT attends like that. He means the like... How many do you play? Uh, we talked about that earlier. Um, it's like one to two is the most frequent, and then it just drops off a cliff. Mm -hmm. By the yeah. time you get to like four or five yeah. GTs, it's you're down to one to two percent of the po player population. Um, yeah. Logan, we already talked about subfaction of Tau. Uh, Dan, who had the better preview, GSC, Grey Knights, or T Suns? GSC, like free unit, GSC. free battle line units, just recycling is wild. <laughs> <laughs> Three thousand points guys. in a three thousand point game, baby. Yeah, I don't think you understand how good that will be. I mean, they do have that thing, and I think there will be some play into it. But it's definitely like one of the most powerful rules that we've seen previously. Ah, it's so great. All right, three questions left, and then we're out of here. Yeah. Uh, first one: uh, Besides growing, what changes in the competitive player base have you noticed since you started playing uh, and throughout Ninth Edition? 
does it seem like the average player seems to be getting more or less competitive? Um, I feel like with TTS being a bigger thing post-pandemic, the average player is getting better at 40K than they were before. Like the level of competitive has much faster because you can get so many more reps in. Like I can play so many more people. Like I can play Innis now. Like I never could have. That never would have happened before, guys. When you can re-rack a game, if it goes south, why you save state and then you just reload it half an hour later. Yeah. Or you can just do deployments against each other. Mm -hmm. Like that would take so long in a normal game of 40K, like putting down stuff Mm -hmm. on a table over and over and over again. You can do that real fast now. Yeah. Yeah. And the other big thing. No, go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah. The other big thing that we've seen very much so since I started playing till now um, is the proliferation of information. Um, so ready, readily available data, what went, what lists are doing well. You have Goonhammer's amazing competitive innovation series where you can see what lists are routinely doing exceptionally well. And then you see the adoption of those lists or variants of those lists um, within the within the faction. And there's just so many content creators out there as well that like I uh, say I'm a CSM player. And I want to know, and I want to follow CSM lists only. There is a content creator for that. If I want to do Gene Stealer cults again, Alien Majesty, I can go and follow that, and I know exactly what this tiny niche faction is doing at an exceptional level. I want to boost Cliff because Cliff is here, and I can do it. And I think that there's so much more data access now from things like what Cliff makes in the dashboard, yeah. like that proliferation of data being available and useful and like cliff is at the forefront of that like stats as a thing wasn't a thing really in eighth but it is definitely a huge thing in ninth and that data thing is driven by people like jeremy and also especially like cliff who drive tool accessibility for it yeah yeah and as long as people keep using it we're going to keep generating it because it's just fantastic to see the response from the community also this podcast yeah (laughs) Fewer people Wild. losing games before they pl- before they put the models on the table. Would be, All right. Is, is the um, what is your biggest selfish hope for how factions or units come out? Would you like? What would you quietly love to see be good? One option each. Uh, for me, I want the lion to be good. Simple as that. I, I he's on my painting desk right now. I didn't get to feel them in ninth. I want to be able to play him at GTs in tenth and not feel like I'm ha- handicapping myself. Aqualon Terminators in the custodies list. Love the models. Thick so. Yeah, I just want I want them to be great. All right, Nathan. Pain engines, give them you to monster. me. Monster. God damn it! I don't want Big City to come back. I will give you that. All right. Um, Again. And then, uh, last two questions. Tim the Shadows here asks: If you got to Clockwork Orange, the GW Balance team, what data would you make them look at? Subfaction data, but what I would especially make them look at is Desolation Marines and that damn data sheet. <laughs> Sub subfactions, like custom factions. I yeah. think custom factions, even for Gene Stealer Cold, I think custom factions have been somewhat like the kryptonite of the balance team this edition. Yeah. Well, especially with the ability to that that combination that someone eventually finds out. Like for example, mm-hmm. the the accustomed to toil, uh, either alien fury or cold like cur- uh, killers, along with uh, industrial affinity <laughs> and war convoy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Who is the, the most? Who is the Sorry. most balanced faction for the entirety of ninth and why is it orcs? asks Alex S. And I just <laughs> looked at our full data, and Mr. Anthony Vanilla is gonna be so happy to hear this that Drukari <laughs> are the most balanced in our data set because they have exactly a 50% win rate, they have exactly a 1.0 over rep, they have a six percent 
on events going 4-0. They have won eight events, and they make up 2% of the player base, over 4,000 games since we started tracking data. Come along long because we didn't. Kari came out. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's, I was going to say, it's like the only reason is because we didn't track data during Drakari. So, like, <laughs> huge, like that first period of the meta where Drakari were dominating everything. That's it. That's the only, that's the it. indicator that's that it. they, like, nailed it with their nerfs, right? They, like, they, like, they, they figured did out that, that point yeah. where the faction should be at. Yeah. Yep. Uh, also, fuck Drakari and fuck the sub factions within Drakari. If you ever oh. look at the, if ever you look at the at the dashboard and just scroll through all of the sub factions that I've had to record for so Drakari over the years, so many. Um, now they will just have one detachment, and it will be the Real Space Raid. All right, we have been going for two hours and thirty minutes. I want to thank everyone for having come and hung hung out for us for this long. I am fifteen minutes late for a team meeting. Um, <laughs> Does anyone have any last minute things that they want to say before we sign off for the night? Oh, um, be on the lookout for lots of 10th edition resources. We've got big plans for the new edition, making things easier for players to access, making data easier for everybody to access, guides, all the tips, all the things. Um, yeah, Renan, right thanks for sticking by us and uh, my, thanks for watching. <laughs> my tidbit is that because Alex mentioned it in our chat, uh, Drew Kari from now on just have a Minnesotan accent is canon. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Drew Kari now are Sven and Oleing everybody while they do things. So when oh. that when that Archon is like taunting you or like has you strapped to that table, it's a Minnesotan accent the whole time. Oh no. <laughs> just exactly. crushing cheese curds the whole time. <laughs> exactly. The squeakiest cheese curds only come from the flesh curds, I guess. I don't know. Oh. All right. Say bye bye, Nathan. Bye bye, Nathan. For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer Media Network. More info at media.goonhammer.com. Thank you.